Good afternoon all, just gone midday on Friday, we're on the 17th of February and a big welcome to those that may have just got their power back and have got their radios going, um, hopefully you've got some cell phone connection, I'd love to hear from you around the country about what you've been through, um, we are all as much as we can in this together and I know those that aren't affected uh, by this horrific week we've had um, just want to lend some moral support to you all so we're here to be the conduit for that to happen so as always our number is 0800 150 is the temper and bedpost text machine you're on the afternoons with Staffy brought to you with Gull our friends at Gull um, fuel emission all year round and um, them like many other businesses you know everyone wants to help how we can the inaccessibility of places like Wairau still just bamboozles me we're such a connected country that are so disconnected now um, physically disconnected but emotionally very connected so if you've just been able to re-listen to us I'd love to hear from you absolutely love to hear from you 0800 coming up on the show today as I just mentioned to Smithy and it's just brilliant to have Smithy back um, so good to have him back on the mornings and um, just his calming tone but he's absolutely right that this um, carnage will carry on. The cleanup will carry on from a long time. It's been a good, good, good shows today on ECNZ. I've been listening in this morning. I'm um, Aaron Smith. Uh, was on with breakfast as was Craig McMillan. Um, so all of the all of the interviews uh, are available on our podcast uh, tab on the SENZ app. Uh, Ronnie Hera is coming up at uh, just after one o'clock. Uh, after the one thirty news, we'll have. Of course, Ronnie will be talking about the cricket, former Black Cap himself. Yvette McCausland-Jury, who is the coach of the Central Pulse, they are taking part, all six teams uh, in Otaki, having a pre-season tournament. They all have a game in the morning and one in the evening, today and tomorrow, and then they all play one more time on Sunday. So everyone plays everyone. New squads, first serious game in netball for a number of these women for quite some time. So what does it look like? Yvette will join us um, about one forty, The Jeremy Paul Show returns to its usual time slot after letting him loose with me and Beaver on the run home last Friday. Uh, told a ripping yarn, a ripping a very much a run home time slot. Um, but Jeremy Paul, I think we'll probably talk about NRL today actually with JP before the Super Rugby season starts. He's admitted to us before he watches more NRL than rugby nowadays. So huge follower of the NRL. So we'll get his take on what he's made of preseason, etc. Uh, the great man Pedro Cameron, uh, former Tall Black, involved in coaching, um, still living in the Gold Coast. I think he's the Gold Coast. Um, but he'll join us at 2.30, see what he makes of the current situation in the playoffs. 
Um, of course, we went down, didn't we? The breakers last night to the jack jumpers. Quite comprehensive, really. I think it was 11 points in the end. But they pretty much outplayed us the whole time. So Perry Cameron with his thoughts on that. Uh, Justine Sclater, who is with New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders Association, what they're doing for their industry at this particularly tough time as well. And we're going to take the opportunity, we're going to replay a, a story we, we brought you on Monday, Lee Ellis, uh, because a lot of people didn't have transmission on Monday, and it's such a good yarn. Manai and I thought it'd be a good idea just to replay that out today if you missed it. And even if you didn't, it's well worth a second listen. Uh, Lee Ellis, he's he had a podcast called No Dunks, which was a hugely popular basketball podcast. And he's a wonderful NBA analyst. He's been working with ESPN for a long time, TV, but he stepped away from it all. And his latest mission sees him playing 20 pickup games in 20 cities in 20 different countries over the next wee while. And he's done five. He's about to embark on his next five in Africa. So we'll just talk to him about um, his experience and why he's doing it. It was a fascinating chat, so we'll we'll replay you that um, after three, between three and 3.30. And, of course, Jimmy Smith across the ditch as well. He'll be about 3.45-ish, uh, as we do on Fridays. Also today, The Vault. It's had a little bit of a hiatus it was just a little bit too technical for McIver, I think. To, he thought you had to get every question right. You don't. You know how the vault works. We've had seven questions. I will repeat them because it hasn't been done since Tuesday. Um, but it is up to $100 now. And some ground was made by, I think it was Ruben, was uh, the contestant on Tuesday. So we'll do a refresher and we'll play that about 2.45. And show me the money where you get a chance to jump in with us on a multi-bet. I think we got three out of four last week. It's the closest we've been for a, far too long. So uh, myself, Manaya and uh, Finn Basimo, we will all pick a leg each. Finn's got a number of nicknames, actually. Um, Finbar, uh, Junior. Uh, McIver was calling him LeBron, I think. LeBron, yeah, because his last name's James. And he's, oh, I was going to say he's the same size as LeBron. No one's the same size as LeBron. So it's great to have Manaya and Finn. So the crew's back. Back together, and I think um, Sammy's been filling in for the big boss Ruben for the last couple of weeks, who's been on, what do you call it, maternity? Paternity Paternity leave. Paternity leave. So the woman has maternity and the man has paternity? I am petitioning for fraternity leave. Oh, yes. For when your brother's born. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like a couple of weeks off. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad idea. So, yes, lines are open, and amidst... Myself and Manaya creating this array of uh, topics today. We neglected to come up with um, an awe-inspiring midday manner, so I'm just going to chuck it out there. Cricket. Bring us about cricket. What you saw, what you witnessed, what you feel. Watching and reading the reports and listening to that first day of cricket, it was like two teams playing two different games. It was Amazing. So give us a call about what you're witnessing in the cricket or if there's anyone out there who's just returned to the land of technology and you're able to give us a call, just give us a yell and tell us what's going at your place too. We'll leave it quite open this first hour. 0800 150, it's Midday Madness. Love to hear from you. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Let's go to the beautiful city of Dunedin and talk to Cliff. G'day, Cliff. Yeah, g'day, Staffy. How are you this morning? Good, thanks, yeah, Cliff. Like, yeah, my thoughts are the people up north 
especially in the Hawke's Bay. My son's in the Hawke's Bay. He's an electrician up there. He's He's got a bit of power. He's got a generator. One of the lucky ones, he's, he's looking after his neighbourhood. They all come and charge in his, their phones, and he's cooking a meal. Some of them are having a shower. He can, you know, gets a bit of hot water in his shower, and, you know, they're in and out like a yo-yos. But, hey, you know, let's hope things move quickly and get, it, get everything back on track. But, uh, yeah, I want to we, – we chat about the cricket. Yep. Uh, disappointing-looking side. Uh, Kugeline and Tickner, to me, I just don't know why those two are in that side. Um, to me, Dougie Bracewell or the the uh, the guy Harvey, uh, the other bowler. Sorry, is it Harvey or no? It's um, it's um, I know who you're talking about. Mitch McLennigan talked about him this morning. Uh, I know, yeah, yeah. Ridley. Yeah, oh, I can't remember his name. Otago fella. He's from Otago. He, he's had 20-odd wickets in the four-day series so far. He's been bowling well. To me, Kugeline hasn't been bowling well. Never played much four-day cricket. He certainly has never played for New Zealand in, four, in test matches. And to me, Tickner's a bit of a liability. I think they've tried to uh, get a wee bit more batting. Hopefully, Kugeline batting at number eight offers something. But to me, the, the tail seems to be awfully long. You know, they've got four seamers plus Mitchell plus uh, Bracewell. They're playing Bracewell as another batsman. It's, it, it looks like if you can bat a bit more than a guy who can bowl better than you, you seem to get in the team. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to me, you're better with four decent bowlers and having six that all go, that might bat a wee bit more. And that's the way Stead seems to work, that he, 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 he loads the dice up on guys Oh, he's not a bad bowler, but he does bat better than this guy who's a better bowler and mightn't bat so well. But to me, you know, the team should have batted first. You know, we won the toss and we should we could have batted most of the day with the with the sun out. Then we ended up in a position where the likelihood was that especially two of their batsmen made all their runs and they, they are the ones that batted quick. The, you know, sure some of their guys got out playing the odd silly shot. But these two that got the 80s, they batted it over a run a ball. And that, in test cricket, was that's why they ended up with 325 after 50, about 59 overs. And uh, it put, put the pressure on us to go out there and bat when, when the, it was darkening with a pink ball. And, you know, sure enough, we, we're three down. We lost three of our top batsmen. We got a... We've got a, a ring, you know, old uh, wags out there now with with Conway, but you know we've got a bat all day today. You know, mm. there's a test match. We've got five days. We don't have to get there and be silly. We don't have to bat too quick. We just got to bat time. We've got to say, look, each over we bat out. The runs will come. It's the same. We'll bat our set, bat our session out. You know, till till lunch, until tea, and and whatever. But if we're going to go out there and be silly. And or you know we could be just got bowled out, but this game's gonna is so progressive so quick that it's a real shame. You know it's a shame that Test cricket goes this way, whereas you know two guys make uh, quick runs and suddenly the team is is basically playing fifty over cricket in a Test match. Yeah. That's the way I see it. But, yeah. but to me, we we're very negative, very negative looking side. You know, too many bowlers. Not enough batting, 
you know, and no proper spinner. I mean, look, Bracewell's been reasonably handy in the one-day format, but suddenly he's a test spinner, is he? Or is he just there as another batsman? Because we don't have a guy who can bat at seven. You know, that's the way it looks. Yeah, you're right. When you look at the batting to come, um, Mitchell, Blundell, Bracewell, Kugeline, they're all all-rounders. And I've always thought all-rounders is the domain for white ball cricket, red ball cricket. You want specialist batsmen, obviously a specialist keeper, and specialist bowlers. Maybe room for one all-rounder, but I feel like we've got about four. And um, it's putting a Band-Aid on a, on a wound. It's just not going to heal it. So I take all of your points, Cliff. I appreciate them, as always, buddy. You enjoy the rest of your yep. day. Yeah, may the sun shine on the North Island. There we go. That's what we want. Thank you, Cliff. And it is shining out here in Auckland today. Shipley was the name of the guy. Thank you to the texter. It was Shipley that um, we were trying to think of. Uh, Mikey in Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. Oh, g'day, Staffy. Hey, um, who would have thought that in this modern era of coaches and captains that this particular coach and captain can change a battle plan on the fly. It is wonderful to see that, that there is such a thing as um, people being intuitive, um, playing what's in front of them. They would have had their plans at the start of the day and they obviously ripped it up at the end and said, no, nah, this is what we're going to do, let's put them in. Mm. I think it's absolutely refreshing and brilliant and I think there's a lot of teams that um, you, don't have, you, you may not be able to play a lot in England, but you can certainly change your plans accordingly if needed. Um, we've seen it in rugby where there seems to be no plan B. You see it in the New Zealand cricket team seemingly. Um, I think uh, what McCullum and Stokes are doing is so refreshing and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, it, England are a great team to watch for a cricket fan. It's hard for a New Zealand cricket fan when England are playing New Zealand but if you take the competition away it's a bit like I watched England, uh, sorry Ireland, France in the weekend. I'm not invested in either side but what a wonderful game of rugby and for, for cricket, cricket people, watching England play test cricket is such a joy. It is, isn't it? Um, but it's the ability to change. Mm. I mean they always talk about leadership is about, about being fluid being able to change, you know when you see the winds of change coming, go with it. Don't go against it. And it kind of shows up um, stead um, and, and, and seemingly inability to, to change. Um, we've been talking about this for a while now, um, and he just doesn't seem to. He seems, you know, I, I sent a text yesterday about, you know, swallow your pride and they should have got Bolton. He's just down the road, for goodness sake. Mm. He's got his feet up. He's probably watching the cricket for all we know. So, um yeah, I just, I just, we seem to be a bit stayed in our um, coaching at the moment in a number of sports. So um, I think these guys are a torchlight for, for what, what can be, what we can do. Mm. It's, it's um, if they can do it because they were in a hell of a state a year ago. Um, then, then we can do it. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, just one other thing. Hey, look, uh, Kia Kaha to those up in the north. I know, I know, it looks really bad um, if you're in it, but. Believe me, because I've been through stuff with the earthquakes and that. It looks bad. It is bad. But you'll get through it. Mm. Good man, Mikey. Thanks, Thank Jesse. you, sir. Cheers, yeah. buddy. Mikey out of Christchurch. Uh, Joey in Auckland. G'day, Joey. G'day, Steph. Going in with no specialised spinner. Uh, what are we doing? I know. I mean, you, that, look, that, Steph, that's like putting, not being, that's like, no disrespect to two of us a check. That's like putting Roger two of us a check at first five eight. For yeah. the All Blacks, yeah. you know, when, when you, you you go in there, you get, oh the 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 the, um, the pitch might be might not be conducive for spinners, 
but it could be on the fifth day. He may get a couple of wickets. He may, whatever. But going in with a, a half, half-hearted spinner, I can't work that out. And, and as I said to Swifty this morning, our batting order, you know, from from three to six, they haven't they haven't done any good the last few tests. So you've got guys that you can put in, like the guy Young. He's in a, a great, um, richer form at the moment. You put him in when his confidence is, is right up there because everyone has lulls, you know, in, in their form. He's in a great, great lull of form at the moment, going really, really well. You put him in there, and that's what they did with, with uh, Skippy Sinclair. They stuck him in the New Zealand side, and he went out and scored, for the first test, he scored 200. We're not expecting, say, Young or someone to score 200, but when we lose three, three wickets, now we've got Wagner in there, and uh, number 11 batsman. I'm telling you now, in, in the first half hour or hour, he'll be gone. No disrespect to him. Mm. But, and so there's four down, four down for 60-odd. We're not gonna, we aren't going to win this test. You know, they just seem to be, it's all about the, the, uh, the attacking um, fast bowlers. And, and what, what, what wins your matches, staff, cricket matches? Runs on the board. Yep. It's simple, man. I mean, you've got to have runs on the board. So, you, to me, you put in, put in more, more batsmen, and you've got, you've got your four, four seamers or whatever. No problems at all. I tell you now, I backed uh, England, great money. I backed England, and I backed them to win in three days at 12 bucks. Yes. Now, I hope they don't. This is for New Zealand. I'm a Kiwi, but I hope they don't. But I'm, I, I just looked at it, and I'm going, the way Bass McCullum is going with them is fantastic, and we need to grab him while he's here and get him and say, right, we want you to take over the one-day side or, or the test side or, or whatever, you and say Fleming, and then you have another guy another guy um, doing doing the, the you know, test side. So you, you, you might, like, like they're doing in Aussie now and other places where they're having different coaches. You don't need the same coach for the whole three, three um, you know, divisions. Yeah, three formats. Yeah, it is. It is. I think we need to be brave, like England were brave, in appointing something and changing, changing the compass completely instead of this gradual creep. We've been left behind. We have been left behind with innovation. So, um, I agree with everything you say, Joey. Good man. Thanks for the call. Okay, mate. You have a good day. Cheers, buddy. Um, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, Zaid, uh, just get you to hold on there, Zaid, if you want to join in. 0800 150 11. Let's talk cricket. Yep, do give us a yell, 0800 150 811, where we're at with cricket, uh, cricket overall, or even just this test match day one. It's <laughs> a five-day test match, and you feel like it's gone it, for us to win. We're just going to bat to survive and hope for weather, which is not the right way to look at cricket, and it's not the way that England look at cricket. We'll go to Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Haven't spoken to you for a while. Hope you're well. And um, good afternoon. Hello, Zaid. Hello? Hello, gotcha. Um, Tickner and um, Kugeline are their average. Um, uh, Gary Stead, I know he's on a contract to player, but still Trent Boldy down the road. What are you doing, mate? Come on. Mm. Yes, I know. 20 minutes down the road. What are you doing? I know. I know. I'd love to know what the discussion was. They said they had... When they said they had internal discussions, indicates to me they actually didn't talk to him. They just talk to him amongst think, themselves. Do you think Baz had a quiet word and said, nah, he's not allowed to play? <laughs> I know he's powerful. I don't think he's that powerful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's someone I want to come in, and that's Stephen Fleming. I want Fleming to take over. 
Yeah, I'd love. I actually think he will in time. Um, I spoke to him a long, long time ago, and he said he'd never coach until every player he'd played with had retired because he didn't want to coach someone that he'd played alongside. He just felt uncomfortable with that. But he's got a really good gig with the IPL at the moment. But I think in time, at some stage, um, hopefully the next rotation, we might get him involved. But some big players that are missing, obviously, they used to be there is uh, BJ Watling. You know, he'd always grown out runs for yep. the Black Caps. Yeah. Um, probably New Zealand's best ever wicketkeeper, and you think he's gone. Um, also, Colin the Grondholm. He wasn't the most consistent, but he'd always get you a few wickets, you know. And um, um, also, Ross Taylor, obviously, is the massive loss. So those guys are huge. Um, and, yeah, Will Young, I don't know why he's not in the team. He's a good batter. Um, I, would, I would actually take Henry Nichols out, of, and he's been useless lately, um, and he needs to leave the team. And I'd bring Will Young back in. And I'd be getting Daryl Mitchell to bowl some overs as well. Cause mm. He seems to bowl, um, was it Pakistan? He was bowling quite well. I don't know why he's more of, I don't know why he bowls more. You know, like how Colin de Grandhomme used to bowl for the Black Caps when he was um, playing. So I, I don't know why Daryl Mitchell doesn't get a go bowling for the Black Caps. Yeah, I wouldn't chuck him the ball. We've got to, we've got to try things and we don't, we just didn't seem to try things. I mean, Bracewell got three overs, I know, but... We just didn't try that. I mean, Kugel on 13 overs for 80 runs going at six runs and over. That, that's just not test match bowling. And maybe a spinner. I don't know, Mitchell Santner or East Sodi. Santner's probably better with a bat, but they're both not bad. you just got to pick one of them and stick with one of them. Mm. Um, I don't know, or Patel, one of them. Just pick one and stick with one. Mm. I don't know. But no one knows. With one of them, and um, hopefully the Blues boys can have a good, uh, good arbo tonight, today. Uh, I think they're playing as at the Waratahs and the Chiefs this afternoon, and it's the uh, Blues' top side, so um, we'll see how they go. Um, obviously, out in uh, Pukekohe, so hopefully they can have a good game. I'll be watching it on Sky. I think it's on Sky tonight, so that's a real good thing from Sky Sports. So they're actually playing a preseason match. Yeah, it will be great awesome. to watch. That's awesome. I love so, it. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one tonight. Good man. But, uh, yeah, have a good rest of the show. Thank cheers, you. Cheers, buddy. And. Um, Got a power back on yesterday, so thanks for that. But uh, still waiting for the Wi-Fi to come back on, so I'm oh, sure they'll sort that out. But otherwise, he's not too bad. A tree did fall down and knock the power line out. Um, but luckily, um, some guys we rang up, they came out and um, fixed the power line. It came completely out of our house. But uh, otherwise, that, not too much damage uh, in my place, so it's not too bad. But um, Hawks Bay got really badly hit, so um, hopefully um, some of them can get cleaned up and hopefully their house is not too badly um, impacted, but I, I heard um, Israel Dag's uh, dad said his house got pretty badly flooded, so that's not too good. But um, yeah, just keep safe out there. Thank you, Zaid. Thank you, buddy. There he is. Um, yep, as we say, and we'll continually say because we continually mean it. I know Hawks Bay and so many more. Don't let's not forget the Coromandel and Northland, Murray areas of Auckland, um, Wairua, Gisborne, the whole lot. Uh, our thoughts are with you. Um, We'll go to New Sport and Weather. Had a couple of good texts in as well, but uh, I, I will give phone calls precedence. 0800 150 11. We'll keep the calls going. We'll keep the lines open. Join us after the news. Listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Phone lines are open, 0800 150 811. We've had a day's cricket. What do you make of it? 
There was so much discussion about the selections, the balance of the team before they took the field. Well, they took the field. Is it the field? They took to the pitch. They took to the ground. Um, it's not great reading. Uh, England, Zach Crawley got four. Ben Duckett, 84 off 68 balls. Ollie Pope made 42. Joe Root, 14. Harry Brook, 89 off 81. Ben Stokes, 19. Ben Folks, 38. And towards the bottom, Ollie Robinson, 15, um, batting at number nine because uh, Jimmy Anderson said, I'm too old to bat, so just to clear. So they did. Tim Southey, I thought, was good. Um, reasonably expensive, um, but good line and length generally from Tim. I think he's the only... Oh, I'd probably sneak Neil Wagner in there as our true test quality bowlers. Tickna Kugelein Bracefelt. Not for me. Not at international. Can I ask you, Steph, because you haven't been on um, with us this week. I'm sure you've uh, given your opinion uh, on Smithy's show. Where, where do you stand on the Trent Bolt situation? Do you think they should call him in? Absolutely. It's a test match. It's a test match against England. So, we want our best players. Make it make it work. Um, we did have Andrew Gordy on the panel on one of Smithy's shows, and he just gave... Um, the other side of the story, and it was now that Trent Bolt is a contract cricketer, individual contract cricketer, they'd have to pay him to play a test match. And he could bargain for, for argument's sake, three times the amount of money, and how would that sit with the other players? But again, we're left into the dark about what the discussion was, um, and they said, you know, we, we've decided to go with contract players players that are contracted to New Zealand cricket in the first instance. I could believe that if just Kyle Jamison or just Matt Henry was not available, but the fact that both of them weren't, sure, bring in a contracted player, but bring in Trent Bolt. Just bring him in. Do it for us. I kind of feel like just that's just not really how people work. Like if he said, I'm not going to take the centralised contract, I'll just play whenever I want, you know. Um, you as a you know, a Finn came in here and said that to us. <laughs> yeah, said that to me today. And then um, we had a big show, biggest show of the year. You know, tomorrow, um, I probably wouldn't call him because I'd be like, "Oh, you, you've made your bed, line it." And I think that's what's happening. It's like even on a personal level, um, I don't think that Gary Stead's ever going to be like, oh, "Okay, sweet, we'll call you in," because that's sort of, and it's you know it's an ego or a pride thing at this point. I yeah, think. I think it's a pride. I think thing. that's a big part of it. Yeah, I got a text in here saying, "Steph, no one points out that the real issue with New Zealand cricket is actually Gavin Larson, by far, without a doubt, the worst selector of the top cricket teams around the world. He's been doing it for ten years, which is far too long. Gary Stead isn't a great coach, but the team selections has to be conservative, zero courage to try guys, and absolutely zero plan for the future." I don't like Gary's coaching style, but I wish more people would call out Gavin Larson because he's the biggest problem in New Zealand cricket right now. Gary takes all the blame, which isn't fair in my very unimportant opinion. I've been led to believe over recent times he's Gavin Larson's selector in title. He's not Gavin Larson's selector in practice. Gary Stead and Kane Williamson are the selectors. I'm led to believe and I think even when Grant Fox was all-black selector, just by the title, you think he picks the all-black team. But he just offers opinion into Steve Hansen and into his assistant coaches for consideration. 
But Grant Fox couldn't say, no, Bowden Barrett plays 10, Richie Moonga bench. Coach and captain in the New Zealand cricket setup have the final say. And one more thing I'll add. And I got this message from, they've asked me not to name them, so I'll just read it. New Zealand cricket are happy to take 20% of Bolt's IPL contract, but not play him when he's available. So I didn't know that, that New Zealand cricket get 20% of the IPL payment. Um, They have to give a no objection certificate for two years after you're contracted and they get paid to release you by the BCCI. So the most happy to take the kickbacks of the income of Trent Bolt at the IPL, but they won't play him. Um, so they're making money off him and not using it. It's just, it, it, it's crazy. Makes sense then why he would want out of that contract. Yeah. So he can have it all himself. Does Trent um, Bolt... Uh, I think it goes for another two years. After you leave your contract, you're still... Oh, so he's still... Does yeah. still climb the ticket on Yeah. Does Trent Bolt text you often? Or well, wasn't Trent Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Trent Bolt, but it is someone that knows. Um <clears throat> From someone else, uh, no name on this one. Mate, what the hell is wrong with New Zealand cricket? Call in Trent. Brian Lahore got called into the All Blacks literally from the farm in 1971 to play the Lions. It's not difficult to work out. Yes, is what I say to that. Um, hi, Staffy. This is from Rob. Wagner runs in like Tarzan and bowls like Jane. <laughs> Where is Lockie Ferguson? We still lost to England 3-0 last year when Bolt played. Time to move on. Thanks, Rob. Um, I think Lockie Ferguson's injured. I think. Shipley was the guy that we're talking about. Can we talk about Doug Bracewell? He's taken a swag of wickets in four-day cricket in New Zealand versus um, like the train spotters out there, you statisticians of cricket, you'll know. Someone texted me the other day, actually, and I read it, and I thought, that's interesting. I must go and look it up, but I didn't. So Tickner's four-day form, Duffy's four-day form, uh, Bracewell's four-day form, it just didn't stack up. Why on earth not Doug? Um, I hope Boulder's in the World Cup. That's from Blake. I think he will be. I I, I actually do think he will be. Um, From Sean, Staffy, I can't get over New Zealand cricket deciding not to pick Trent Bolt. Trent has served New Zealand cricket for 10 years. He is absolutely world class and he has earned the right to pick and choose where and when he represents the Black Caps and when he chooses to have family time. The fans want to see this team compete. We pay our money to see the best possible players whenever they make themselves available. The stance New Zealand cricket are taking is naive and stubborn. Cheers, Sean. And I know a few people at this station have tried to contact Trent Bolt, but, um, and I understand he's... He knows the questions that are coming and he doesn't want to put himself in an awkward situation. Again, Trent Bolt's book will be interesting <laughs> when, he, when he hangs up the, uh, the pads, won't it? it that would be, make for very interesting reading. Berg says, how long has Baz signed for England? When can he come back and would it work with our players? It would absolutely work with our players. You talk to, I did a podcast with Tim Salvey, um, I'm going to say three years ago about Baz the captain. Just, he just said he, he just makes you believe and makes you play better than you actually thought you could. And if you don't play well and you've had a bad day at the office, Baz would just um, take you aside and say, go get it tomorrow. I believe in you. And that's what he's doing with England and look what we're seeing. So we are conservative in New Zealand. We've seen it in rugby. We're seeing it now in cricket. The 
um, reluctance to be inspirational. I remember I had an old CEO back in the day and his mantra was fast fail. And I never quite knew what he meant. He said, try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. We don't, we don't seem to try anything. Henry Nichols at four, high score of 30 in his last five test matches or something, goes in at four. I really missed the Ross Taylor walking out to the middle. Now, I'm not saying you'd go out and get a century or get a 50, um, but we've lost him. Um, we've lost Trent Bolt. And we just don't have the depth. And what's that word? I hate pathways. Um, it's horrible. It's just horrible to watch, but it is a delight to watch England play cricket. Do feel free to call us 0800 150 11. Happy to take your calls right after this. Yes, welcome back in. And a very valuable listener has taken it upon himself to ring 0800 150 811 as you can. Grant Elliott, Jav, g'day. Hey, Steph, how's it going? I don't know about valuable listener. There'll be people that disagree with me, but that's fine. I've got used to that over time. I think it's good to, to have an opinion. I was just driving around the beautiful capital city um, doing my day job, and I was listening to you, and I thought, oh, well, this is a, a big discussion at the moment, and I uh, thought maybe I'd have a few uh, views on it. But, uh, yeah, interested to hear your view. Um I think, you know, around Trent Bolt, I caught the back end of it, but I'm guessing that you were saying, you know, we should get him playing. Is that what you were saying? Well, they haven't told us what the hurdle to him playing, except that they would rather select contracted players. And me and the listeners are saying, we just want the best 11, and Trent's our best bowler, and he's not playing a test match at home against England. Why can't they make it work? Yeah, I think, I think you have to be very careful about the precedent that you set. And the precedent is, is that what you're saying is that you are not going to commit yourself to New Zealand cricket, but be a freelancer and still be selected. So that opens the, the gateway to any player that decides to take that. And there might, there might only be a handful of players that might be able to do that in, in New Zealand cricket. But I think it does set a precedent. So players will go and play in India and they go play in Pakistan and then suddenly you can kind of, swan in after playing in the T20 circuit and playing a test match and I think it, it does change things up in the environment as long as the players are, tr- uh, are given transparent policies around that but I think the policy that's been set in the past in my opinion has been that if you're not contracted to New Zealand cricket you won't be um, eligible to play and there's players that um, I guess in the past Mitch McLennigan was one, uh, Colin Monroe currently another one um, you know that's the, the, the rules and regulations have to be quite consistent and I'm sure you'll agree with me you know when you're managing players and you're managing selection it has to be fair for everyone but what I would say is the solution like let's think of what the solution should be now the the cricket environment is changing significantly and I think that you know the contracts need to change with that that environment and um, at the moment we've got it's either black or white either you contracted to New Zealand cricket or you're not. And I think, um, why can't, can't we put just a little retainer aside for those players that maybe want to go and play in the other leagues and look at it in a positive light? Because if we've got someone like, let's say, Finn Allen, for example, um, he comes to New Zealand cricket, says, oh, I, I don't know if I want to be contracted to New Zealand cricket. Um, I want to go and play in the T20 circuit. Let's put a little retainer aside. Now, Finn Allen could play in the leagues around the world. He's going to be playing in changing conditions with the best coaches in the world, best players around him as well in some cases in these leagues, 
and actually learn his trade. We're going to get other people to actually train our players in an environment where they're going to get better. Mm. Uh, their skills are going to get better. Um, potentially their attitude and philosophies around the game and experience will change. Now, why can't we do that with Trent Bolt? Why can't we give him a small retainer and say he's still contracted to New Zealand cricket, sit down with him and say, what we require, though, is for you to do X, Y, and Z. And that will be the strength and conditioning, make sure that you're fit and you're checking in with the strength and conditioner and be available for these periods during the year. That way, then the narrative in the, uh, the press would be, okay, well, you know, Trent Bolt is still contracted to New Zealand cricket, but he is only available for certain um, tournaments and, uh, and fixtures. Yeah, it's not much of an easement when you, when you explain it like that. Um, and everyone's talking about precedent, um, but... Players have played for New Zealand that aren't contracted, and most recently it's Jimmy Neesham, and they seem to bring them, happy to bring them into white ball, um, but it's a different set of rules for tests, is it? Well, test cricket, I guess, you know, the contracting system is you get double points for tests. Right. Um, so what that means is if you're a top 10 test player, there's a good chance you're going to be getting a contract. Um, and the contracting system is because uh, there's more importance placed on tests than it is one day in T20. But as you saying, like maybe there's a little bit of an ease, but I'd say Jimmy Neesham is probably out of the mix at the moment. I'm not sure. Well, you know, what's the narrative around that? Because I think that then that does set a different precedent. But I think that what, what, I, what I'm saying in essence is that we probably need to change um, the way that we structure those contracts with the way that the world of cricket is changing so that we can try and keep more people involved in international cricket so the public feel like we're getting our best team um, on the park. Um, especially in world competitions. Yeah, bang on. Um, Jeff, lovely to hear from you. You know how the station works. are about to crash into ads, so I'm going to politely say thank you for <laughs> your call. <laughs> hey, well done on your Sir Murray uh, Helberg uh, canvas as well, Staff. That was uh, bloody awesome from you. Um, yeah, I was there, and uh, yeah, congrats. It's, uh, it's, it's great stuff that you do behind the scenes as well and on the show. Love listening to you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. Grant Elliott, good listener from Wellington. Uh, we'll come back after this. We can probably sneak one more call in after this break if you want to join in. 0800 150 uh, It was great to hear from uh, Superman, Grant Elliott, the, the hairy jav. Um, interesting thoughts on him. And he's, he's provided another solution. It's just a, a modification to this. It seems like... Um, Stone Age type contracts, doesn't it? Um, we need to get our best, but we don't have the depth of Australia and India, probably Pakistan. We just don't have the depth, so we have to modify things a little. But like the Wallabies did with the Matt Giddo rule, um, if you'd had, was it 30 caps and you were playing overseas, you could play for the Wallabies. We need an easement of these tight restrictions. Would help with the financial situation as well. We can't afford to compete with you know these IPL leagues, mm. so go and top your pay packet up over there. But come back to us, you know, and then it also puts the egos aside. It does. Because that's what the agreement is. Mm. And I can see this is going to be a problem for rugby in the not too distant, I'd say in five or six years we'll be picking all blacks from offshore because the money, we can't compete. Beautiful country that we've got, we just don't have the population to support and compete financially for our top athletes. But I just don't want it to be too long before we change because we're going to become a backwater of cricket and nobody wants that. Anyway, we'll take a break for news, sport and weather. And coming up after that, we're going to talk to Ronnie Hira, former Black Cap. Yeah, I got a woman way over town that's good to me. 
Great Ray Charles kicking us off into the second hour of the show. Double eight, double three. Got some good text messages on the Temper Bear Post text machine, which we will get to. Uh, in fact, the most recent one says, "How do we plebs, average plebs, follow on from uh, Grand Elliot the Jav?" Uh, yeah, it's tough, um, but I love hearing from the cricketers about what is going on. So we've got a recent, fairly recent black cap joining us now. Ronnie Hera joins us. G'day, Ronnie. Very good, mate. Uh, so many discussion points after just day one, Ronnie. Um, there was a lot of speculation. Did we have the selections right? There's the Trent Bolt discussion. Tickner and Cougar line, were they the right fit? You you must be copping it from all angles because you've played at this level from, from just your work colleagues, I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, there's a, bit, there's a bit going on, and obviously it's relatively overwhelming the last couple of weeks with the weather events as well, so thoughts go out to everyone who's been affected. Uh, by by the ongoings of the last couple of weeks, but yeah, in terms of the cricket stuff, it's, there's a lot of things that you can you know poke a hole at with New Zealand cricket at the moment. Um, Grant Elliott just rang us actually just in our talkback hour, and his solution to this Trent Bolt situation because I think everyone's in agreement he's our best Test bowler. He's living in the city that they're playing, and he's not playing, and it just seems a little bit nonsensical. But it's all around this contracting. I think there's a little bit of pride. You didn't want the contract, so we're not going to play you. And he, his solution, which I found interesting, was maybe give Trent a retainer-type contract so he's still loosely contracted and haven't agreed when he appears. Is that too radical to think that something like that could work? Yeah, that was nice of Grant to come on just before I was coming on. It's hard to hard act to follow when <laughs> you, 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 your nickname is nickname Superman. I'm just uh, another plebe who um, played a little bit of cricket. So, um, I guess yeah. For, uh, I mean, you've got to look at other ways. If that's one of the ways that's on the table, then, then you have to look at it. I heard. I remember you were talking to Ian Jones a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, no idea is a bad idea. You have to look at things on the table, and that was obviously in the rugby context, but with the cricket context, you just have to have to find a solution. If, if we want to try and have our best players in New Zealand playing, then we have to have to find some accommodations for them. Um, and if that's giving like a part-time retainer or allowing them to go and play a certain amount of events a year or whatever the case may be, it has to be accommodated. Um, I've been on this, uh, you know, on SEN did before, and the, the four the four instances of guys tossing in their contracts this year are all four different situations. Like, in my opinion, Guptill got managed out of the team by not being selected, and then he thought I'd go and play um, some franchise cricket. You had Jimmy Neesham, who wasn't offered a contract originally, and then of, took up some options of playing some uh, franchise cricket, and then New Zealand cricket came back to him, and it was too late. It already committed. You got the Bolt situation where he's obviously played a lot of cricket and then decided that actually I actually don't, I want to step away now. And then you've got the Grandome who put his name in for a franchise game <laughs> and then got selected. So they're all four really different situations, but ultimately the the outcome's the same. We don't have four guys playing that have played hundreds of games for New Zealand, and you just can't go around finding that experience. And I guess the proof's in the pudding. You've got Doug Bracewell potentially sort of should have been selected for this game, and I think he probably may have been if he, if he was fit. I mean, I'm hearing that he's injured. That's the reason that he's not being picked. Um, but then you've got Tickner and, and Kugelheim who have played a, a number of first-class games, but they haven't played a number of international games. So you can see that we're not, we're not, we're not replacing guys that are well-experienced with guys who have had some experience. So 
Is it as simple, Ronnie, as saying our contracting model is flawed? 100%. Um, so, you know, I've been in that situation before when I made my debut for the Black Caps. I didn't even have a domestic contract that year. So <laughs> I was overlooked by my own province to be a, a, a domestic contract player, yet I was good enough to play for New Zealand. So, you know, the contracting system itself ranks the people like Grant said. If you if you play four day cricket or test cricket in New Zealand, you get double the weighting of a white ball player, for example. And my my specialists or my skills were white ball, so I'd obviously then dip down the list. So I never ever had a New Zealand contract, and I was very well down on the list in in terms of domestic contracts, just purely because I only played white ball cricket. Now, for Trent's example, where someone said, "Oh well, we probably can't afford to have him play one game or two games." Essentially, he would just get a match fee. He wouldn't have any any um, any power to negotiate how much he wanted to get paid. He couldn't go and talk to New Zealand cricket and say, I want 10 grand for a game. I want 15 grand for a game. He would essentially just get the match fee, but he would get 30% on top of that because he's not contracted. So that's essentially how that works. So that, that problem in terms of cost is, is obviously alleviated in terms of having a negotiation. You can't negotiate. It's a fixed price. And it's the same with a contract. So you get ranked number one, you get the most money, and that's your price. You don't actually go to New Zealand Cricket and say, hey, I'm actually worth X amount. You don't do that. I, I, I don't know how the rugby contracts work, but that's how New Zealand Cricket contracts work. Fascinating. And I'm also led to believe that New Zealand Cricket get a kickback from IPL contracts of up to 20% of, so let's say, for example, Trent Bolt gets 500 grand to play IPL. 100 of it goes back to New Zealand Cricket to let him play it. Yeah, that's, that's something I don't have any knowledge over. I've never been involved in that um, and had any of my time. I've never been in the IPL or any of those franchise leagues. But, yeah, you do have to get a, a one of those uh, non-compete or NOC certificates to be able to go and play. So New Zealand cricket essentially do have to sign you off to go and play in those tournaments. And I guess that does come with a cost in terms of releasing guys. If there are other tournaments or other series on at that time, then, then there would be some sort of kickback, I'd imagine. Um, how that gets facilitated, who manages the money, where it goes... I guess that's all all part of uh, New Zealand cricket's dealings in terms of where they distribute the money. But um, yeah, you'd have to talk to someone like yeah Mitchell McKinnigan or even Grant or someone who's obviously been in that in that in that sphere of having an IPL contract and where the money actually goes. Spin bowling, I wanted to ask you about. We've gone into this Test match with just Michael Bracewell, who I don't know how I would describe him as a spin bowler, maybe efficient. Um, I, I I don't think he's going to take five wicket bags, even on a last day, perhaps turning pitch. I don't know. But AJS Patel, you've probably been asked ad nauseum about what does this guy have to do. We had a text to the show just earlier saying if AJS Patel was uh, in any other country, he would have played 20 tests by, by now. Um, it looked like Ish Sodi was starting to get a few cracks at test cricket, but nowhere to be seen for this one. Are we, are we dealing with our spinners the right way? Are they getting enough of a crack? Uh, probably not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it last time, like, AJS took 10 wickets and then the next test didn't play. So when you when, when are you ever going to get a chance to play after you've taken 10 wickets in an innings? If you're not going to be playing in the next test, then you're never going to get a prolonged opportunity. So I guess that's sort of the case in point. Um, I think a lot of it has to come down to maybe the management style of um, the people who are running the Black Caps at the moment, you know, a conjunction between... Gavin Larson, Gary Stead, and then Kane and, and Tim Southey, and potentially how conservative they have their approach and, and how they want to play their cricket. They'd probably rather have someone like Michael Bracewell who can do a job with the ball, but probably then offers something with the bat. Whereas, obviously, if you have Ajaz, you're probably going to be batting at 11, which is where he's batted before. 
Ish has obviously improved his betting and his bowling looks like it's improved as well, so he may be an option. But we're just talking about guys who are options rather than guys who are actually getting a chance. Now, I looked at the series before England came and I actually thought New Zealand wouldn't play a spinner. I didn't think um, I didn't think England may not play the spinner just because of the conditions here and how much life there is in the wickets um, throughout all five days um, and potentially just have a part-time spin bowling option, which would be someone like Michael Bracewell. Um, so that's that's what I was thinking. But if you're going to have a full-time, fully-fledged uh, spin bowler, you know you are looking at guys like Ish, Ajaz Patel. They tried Ratch and Ravindra two seasons ago. He hasn't been sent. He hasn't been seen since. Um, you had Mark Craig for a while, who was a right-arm spinner who played for a, a few tests in New Zealand. So they've tried a number of guys, but they haven't given them a prolonged opportunity to see if they're actually going to be able to, you know, do it at this level. Yeah, I'm no spin bowling expert, but I was delighted. And I found it interesting when uh, Tim Southey took the reins off Kane Williamson. Ish Sodi was straight into the test team. And I'd been scratching my head why he was just wasn't involved in test cricket while Kane was captain. And then Tim Southey comes in and he's straight into the team. And I thought, am I seeing an influence there of the change of captaincy? And Ish went OK with the Red Bull. Yeah, he did. And, and and I think, like I said, I think he's obviously put a lot of work into his bowling to try and get another opportunity. Um, the difficulty is a lot of these guys, because they are so in demand around the world for franchise cricket, and then the ones that do get, obviously, um, the allowance to go and play it outside of New Zealand tours, uh, each will play in the, in, the, in the Blast in England, or he might play in a couple of other tournaments, the 100 or something like that. They're, they're really well in demand. So, and, and especially in our summer, when do they get a chance to play four-day cricket? They don't go and play county cricket. They don't play four-day cricket. So even when you're called in, you are coming off the back of just playing white ball cricket. Um, Ajaz Patel, if he had played this test match, the last test he would have played was in Pakistan. He would have just been playing white ball cricket in New Zealand at this time of year. So you know, what, are the, what are guys doing in preparation to actually get an opportunity? And when they do get an opportunity, are they prepared? Yeah, that's a really good point. I actually made a point. I floated an idea, I think, last week that I felt like T20 cricket um, is great for franchises. You know, I'm talking Big Bash, Super Smash, IPL, your Dubai League, your Caribbean, all that sort of thing. But having T20 internationals as well as part of a tour, I think there's just too much T20. Sure, have a T20 World Cup and you can pick players that have been playing in all this franchise stuff, but make international cricket just tests in just one day is because there is so much cricket now, Ronnie, and that's part of the reason I feel we don't see our best players all the time because they need rest. Our fast bowlers need rest. Our, our batters get fatigued. Um, Kane Williamson steps down and has to have a break. We saw Trent, while he was contracted, he stepped down because it's there's just too much cricket. How, how do you feel about my weird idea that T20s shouldn't be international except for a World Cup and leave that to franchise cricket? And I just think reducing cricket a little bit more would allow our better players to play more often. It's not a it's not a weird idea. There's there's obviously some merit in it. It's just that I think if you think about the money that comes in, it obviously generates a, a good ticket price. If you're thinking about people coming to the games, mm. um, you know we're very rarely going to sell out a one day international or a test match. But you know you can get a few thousand or ten thousand or fifteen thousand people to Eden Park on a on a game at twenty twenty night when they're playing England or they're playing India or something like that. So in terms of international cricket in New Zealand generating revenue. You know, T20 is obviously going to help them do that um, and help pay the bills and help pay these players, I guess. Um, and also those reciprocal tours, right? So when you go to India and people are watching us on TV, there's also sponsorship money and things will happen on the jersey and things like that. So 
there's all those things to consider in, in, in doing something like that. Mm. Uh, franchise cricket is great because obviously New Zealand cricket aren't fronting the bill. People are individual uh, private backers or owners of the teams will be paying for these types of things. And um, like Grant said, you give that opportunity to people to go and experience getting better on someone else's dime. You know, you get the best coaching, you get the best strength and conditioning, you get the best environment to try and develop your game. But cutting one portion or one format out for New Zealand cricket would essentially mean they're getting a third less of the revenue, actually probably more than that if you think about it, if that's the, the, the main revenue generator. Uh, the Super Smash generates no no revenue, um, but that's the only televised product in New Zealand um, in terms of getting out to market. You know, there's nothing in terms of one-day cricket that gets put out there. There's no nothing in terms of four-day cricket that gets put out there for local players. Only if you're playing for, for the Black Cats would you see a one-day international or a test match on TV. So when you think about televised TV and sponsorship and all that type of stuff, 2020 is the only thing where people can actually see it on TV, I guess, especially from domestic level, and then also probably bringing the dollars in from international level. What's our way forward in New Zealand with our domestic game? Um, we've had a number of texts and calls to the show over the summer saying there's just it's just not accessible. Uh, you know, it's the middle of summer. Admittedly, we've had a horrific weather event, but apart from Super Smash, just stuff isn't televised. Um, what needs to be done at the domestic level to prepare these players, like Blair Tickner, like Kugeline, um, Shipley, the, these sorts of guys? What needs to happen domestically? I think ultimately you have to ask yourself, if, if, if you look at a career like Scott Kugelheim, and he's played a lot of domestic cricket, if you have a look at his career, he would have played a lot of um, a lot of games across all three formats. So you would have thought that you know if he was going to get an opportunity for the Black Cats, which he has done this week, that he may be better prepared than others. But it just shows you that that distance between playing a Test match or a one-day international or a 2020 and going up against guys like Joe Root, going up against guys like Ben Duckett, going up against like Ben Stoke... Um, that's, it's a big gap you've got to try and uh, try and bridge. And um, with our current domestic structure, we play so little cricket, really, when you think about it. There's only 10 games per format, you know, 30 games in a summer. That's not a lot of cricket, whereas, you know, you go and play county cricket, um, you go and play in Australia, there's a lot more cricket, there's a lot more volume. People are getting better at a faster rate. Um, and it's also, we're now a population where there's not a lot of people playing cricket full stop. Um, you know how are those guys going to develop at a at a rate that's going to help them when they get to that top level? So, um, yep, Scott and and to, um, and Blair will get good experience from this Test match. But then what happens after that? Like, mm. do they not play again? Like, is it a one Test wonder type deal? Um, is it worth investing in? Were we were we better off investing in someone like um, someone who was a little bit younger who may have got an opportunity now, but then played again in three or four seasons time? Um, Doug would have been a great option but again Doug's the other side of 30 Doug Bracewell so you know are we always going back to guys who may have had a, a hint of success and then going back to them at the hope of a one-off opportunity that they'll perform well again or are we better in saying okay well there's four or five guys here that are going to make up a, a core of our group for the next five years and we'll give them opportunities along the way to try and get them ready for that um, you know, are they the younger guys? Will Young, for example, with the bat. What's the point of leaving him on the sideline now when there's a prime opportunity for him to get experience now and potentially be um, having a career where he scored, I don't know, eight to nine hundreds by the time he reaches his peak? And like, is that is that something that's viable? And I think it is for a, someone of the quality of Will Young. And then you've got to look at spin bowlers and and, and fast bowlers. Like uh, everyone says, well, why don't we play Lockie Ferguson? Well, the proof is that Lockie Ferguson, when he plays a Test match it struggles to get through the five days that mm. Kyle Jamison go down. So there's a lot of these sorts of things floating around where, you know, in a different situation, 
these guys would be fit and would be would be all firing. And Matt Henry obviously may have had his baby with his partner a week ago rather than this week, you know. So there's a lot of things that haven't aligned up for the Black Caps in this instance. But I just think the game's not really going forward. We're just using and recycling guys that have had a, a taste of it and then they, we don't see or hear from them again. The big problem, um, and I 100% agree with this recycling thing, when I go through the team list of Latham, Conway, Williamson, Wagner, uh, Mitchell, uh, Southie, all 30-plus um, or thereabouts, in five or six years, I'm deeply concerned what our Black Caps team is going to look like and how they're going to get results because we haven't had a young phenom for a while. Henry Nichols was that guy for a while. He was the young up-and-coming guy. Uh, Will Young, someone you've mentioned, doesn't get a crack. Um, I'm quite concerned that half this team or more than half this team aren't going to be there in a couple of years. What have we got? Yeah, I'd say five years. I think it'll happen sooner than five years. Mm. Um, And... Um, we're already seeing guys um, being pigeonholed already in terms of white ball, uh, red ball, that type of stuff, and that obviously then dilutes your pool even further in terms of people that you can actually select. So, you know, are we going to be a nation of, of cricketers who can play three formats? Are we going to be people like Neil Wagner and, and days of times past Chris Martin who only played one format? Um, you know, are we going to have guys that can play with three formats? I mean, if, if you're a quality player and you can you can adapt your game, then essentially you should be able to play all three formats. But um, with the franchising uh, and and the nature of putting less toll on your body over 20 overs and playing like a five-week tournament as opposed to playing a whole calendar year of cricket, um, that's all, that's going to be the balance. I think there's just some wider some wider things that need to be discussed with New Zealand cricket in terms of how they're selecting their people, what the talent pathways are in terms of who's being identified. Uh, what the selection process is and, and going on there. I don't think they've been overly transparent with the Trent Bolt thing either. No. I think there's something going on. There's something going on there which hasn't helped. Um, I agree that we should be playing the best players available, but, but then also, you know, their, their side of it is that you know we can, we're only going to pick players who are contracted, and that's that's the, the party line, I guess, that they're telling out. But um, you know, we haven't heard from Trent. I don't know if he wants to speak about it. I don't know if he's had any, any communication from New Zealand cricket or they're just saying that they've spoken to him. Um, it's like when they said last week that they'd been talking about Colin Munro. I can almost guarantee that they haven't been talking about yeah. Colin Munro about playing 2020 cricket. So, um, you know, he said he hadn't heard from them for three years. So, um, you know, I can almost guarantee that there's something going on there that they're not not fully disclosing around this and, and what it is and what the outcome is. But I think what we've done is we've gone into a test match um, with inexperienced players um, and I don't think they've been found out because that would be pretty harsh to say of these guys who are on debut, but I think they've obviously come up against guys who are a lot better skilled than they are. Mm. Hey, Ronnie, really appreciate your time today and your insight. Uh, wonderful. No dramas. Anytime. Cheers, mate. Ronnie here to the former Black Cap. And um, <clears throat> just talking to Ronnie there about... I've, I've, I've often felt there's just too much cricket. And this is a weird statement to make, I think. Has the IPL ruined cricket? Has the IPL, it's the be-all, end-all. It's where most cricketers make well over 50% of their annual income. And a lot of them, it would be 80% of their annual income. And the world cricket calendar had to make um, adjustments because the IPL was just so big and if national body said you can't play the IPL players you just go get stuffed I'm going to go and make a, a million a year for six weeks work eight weeks work at the IPL that'll do me so take away the money side of things and I don't besmirch cricketers going and making 
pocketfuls at the IPL. God bless you. All Blacks going to Japan and France, God bless you. I have absolutely no issue with that. But for the international game, has IPL damaged cricket? I think there's a way that they could use it to enhance cricket. I think as it, as it stands the way it is, I think you're right, it, it has had a negative impact on um, you know, international cricket. But like uh, our long-time listener, first-time caller Grant from Wellington uh, <laughs> said when he called in, there is a way to leverage it to where you can use it to line your pockets, the IPL that is, and then that could probably you know, set you free a little bit to, to play these longer-form matches. Mm. So I think as it stands, yeah, it's definitely had a negative impact. But there is a way that uh, it could, you know, it could help all formats of the game. Mm, Rising agree. tide lifting all boats and all that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> 0800 150 Your reactions, please. We'll take your calls after this. Uh, g'day, team. Um, text messages, Tim, from the 09 Staff White Channels Cricket on. It's on Sky Sport. Uh, Spark Sport, sorry. Spark Sport is where you can find the cricket. And I'm going to ask Ad Nauseam, where is it on the radio? We don't have the rights for commentary. And the radio station that does have the rights... Ain't worth listening to. Aren't doing it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, any other? Here's the text I was looking for before from Adam. Uh, any other country in the world, Patel would have played 20 tests by now. Give the guy a go. Bolt should have played. Also, how much has he given to New Zealand cricket? Show some respect. Uh, Staffy, where is Glenn Phillips? He should be in the Test 11. And let's just dump Nichols instead now. I'm heading to the rugby later. <laughs> That's from Ken. Another one from Ken came in before. Staffy, 2020 has destroyed the best format of the game. It's such a shame. Um, I don't watch tests... Oh, I love my test matches. I don't watch the other rubbish. Cheers, Ken. I, I do accept that it is a, a cash cow for New Zealand cricket, um, but we're just playing follow the leader and archaic contracting rules, I feel. Um, I do feel. Anyway, we'll take new sport and weather. Um, in the next half hour, we're going to catch up with Brendan Popwell. We'll just see what's happening with the market, with the test, actually. And at about 1.40, Yvick McCausland Jury, the wonderful coach of the Central Pulse, they're taking part in a pre-season tournament in Ōtaki. We'll catch up with her. They're one game down and just see what it's all looking like with the upcoming netball season. New sport and weather with Johnny Mac now. Well, at the start of the week, I thought England over $2 to win the Test match was good money. Uh, the weather didn't arrive, which kept the draw price low. I'd imagine it's blown out. Let's catch up with the tab.co.nz. That's the website and the man we're going to talk to today, Brendan Popperwell. G'day, Pops. Hey, Steph. Yep. Um, you bang on money there. England, they are gaining a lot of support, and so they should with how they played in that first day. Uh, 147, all the money's with them. Yeah, 147. So what are the Black Caps now? Black Caps are 365. We have seen, look, sprinklings of interest. Um, the, the best sort of Black Cap interest I can really pass on uh, is around the top run scorer market, and it's with Devin Conway. He was the well-supported player uh, before the game started, and now he's $2.10. So there's been a lot of support around his 210 price this morning uh, with where he does sit. Uh, and he was well played, as I said, uh, pre-test uh, match. We, we have also seen some money for Daryl Mitchell at the $3.50 quote, uh, which, of course, he is uh, destined to come in next. 
The the other option that has been taken today is the boosted one, which is around Devon Conway to score 50 runs or more, and Neil Wagner, the night watchman, to score 15 runs or more. That's currently uh, at $4.50 and is by far our best back power play. So maybe there are some folk out there hoping uh, that these boys can dig in uh, and get a bit of a bit of a score going. Wagner's certainly no bunny, and we know that Conway can certainly settle in for a nice innings if they can get through that first hour. So, a bit of support there uh, in our in one of our sort of uh, boosted uh, plays at four fifty. One more thing we can talk about, and I'll let you choose. Okay, um, I'll go to the <laughs> just like that. Eh? Uh, let's go <laughs> NRL preseason. Nice. Uh, these books have. He's been very interesting, and I'll jump straight to the Warriors game, which, of course, is on Sunday against the Melbourne Storm. Warriors, uh, nice, nice support for them at 275. We've seen a good steady flow of money for them. The Melbourne Storm are at $1.49. We've seen both teams uh, name a good couple of squads there for their match. Uh, but, yeah, definitely Warriors, 275, and a little bit of money on that 1-12 to 12 Warriors, which currently sits at $4. So the faithful are in force off the back of their thrashing that they gave to the Tigers last week. Brilliant pops, beautifully encapsulated, keeping me interested. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Wagner to 15 and Conway to 50. I've got $37.50 in my TRB account. It might get a little look at that. Oh, chips all in, eh? All in. I'm all in and I'll stand up and watch. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> brilliant pops. Good chatting, buddy. Cheers, Steffi. Cheers, mate. There he is, Brendan Popperwell from the TAB. And, of course, that's uh, the tab.co.nz. That's where all the promotions are, the the sports markets, all of these in-play options. There's plenty available on the cricket as well, tab.co.nz, or download the app for even easier access. Uh, We'll take a break now. We're going to come back kind of talk some netball with uh, Coach Yvette McCausland Jury. They are in amongst right now their pre-season tournament before the ANZ Premiership kicks off. So some netball after the break. Welcome back in and time to talk netball. The the ANZ Premiership is just around the corner, but there's a big pre-season tournament going on at the moment in Ōtaki, which is fantastic, which is the spiritual home of the Central Pulse. And joining us now is the coach of the Pulse, Yvette McCausland Jury. G'day, Yvette. Kia ora. Is it fun to be back in the grind? Oh, it's good. Look, we've had um, twice this the pre-season tournament's been cancelled due to COVID, so it's nice to get back in it again. And I think on top of that, um, yeah, just that opportunity to play other teams as we head in. We're a week out from starting, so perfect timing. What's a goal of a coach at a tournament like this? Is it to win the tournament? Is it to try combinations? Is it to see new players? What What's your modus operandi going into a tournament like this? Yeah, I think for different teams, it, it takes different shapes. For us in this season, heading into 2023, we've had a lot of changes within our um, playing group. So for me, it's really about consolidating combinations that we believe are, are going to be those that we're going to put forward in the ANZ Premiership. And then on top of that, making sure that we're really consolidating and getting clarity on our game plan piece. We've got a week if these, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You test it out, it doesn't work. We've got a week to make some subtle changes, but... Probably the biggest one for me that I like about this tournament, which is, yep, the games are great, but that ability to um, just stay together, be together and have, you know, back-to-back games and focus and have the opportunity to turn things into action pretty immediately. Yeah, I've spent a bit of time, as you know, um, just uh, really appreciating the netball community 
and that whānau feeling, and I, I just, mm. I've, I've just always appreciated what the Pulse do with the community, and just being so together in such a tight team. And so, I was hoping you were going to say that. But all the teams are in Ōtaki at the moment. Is there mixing and mingling and and uh, sharing some jokes? Absolutely. Day one on the, you know, when we all arrive on Thursday, there's lots of activity. So part of our um, drive and bringing this tournament to the ANZ Premiership and making it available was working with Tuanangaroko to, to really just expose people to what they're about as well and looking at you know that ability to um, connect the kotahi tanga all those sorts of aspects. So they had a poi session yesterday. We had a pōhiri, um, you know, along with that, that ability to sit down and eat together. So all of our meal times were aligned yesterday, and then over the next few days with games, there's um, lots of changes to to line up. Um, what people's needs are relative to performance. So it's been a really nice start. And I think you've played one game so far. You played the Magic at an ungodly hour of nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing like getting nothing getting into it, is it? So, yeah, we did have a really early start. Our breakfast call was quarter past six, so it was a, a pretty early start. The players were, um, but they're doing really well. And I think um, on top of that, Sky TV and and uh, you know, Netball New Zealand. There's lots of other elements that are going into the preparation for the Premiership. So they're all just over getting makeup done, and then heading in, getting their photos done, and all sorts of other little bits and pieces. <laughs> so the day gets filled up. But we've had that game. I was really pleased with them, although it was a loss, and you never, you know, celebrate a loss per se. There were some really good moments, and we had a couple of games last week, and we really were tragic. So it was good to see the progress and the things that we've worked on and and that's just within a week the changes that they can make so yep please we're seeing some links and combinations and and more importantly just that ability to to learn adjust and adapt and make things happen in action you've always had a good knack at identifying young talent and then progressing them in my view a little bit quicker than they might have done organically and there's always roster changes amongst the six premiership teams in new zealand can you tell us about maybe a couple of the newcomers into the pulse that uh you're quite looking forward to working with yeah one of our you know key objectives is producing talent that can go on obviously to an international level but the other one is about making sure that we can elevate from our central manawa national netball league team through to the pulse so we've got um, a couple in there but amelia was contracted last year but she played largely with the um, central manawa she's now putting herself into a position to to start games and finish them off so she ran for three quarters in the first game and really amazing growth in a short period just to 19. Um, Ainsleyana, who was also in the Central Manawa group, is backing up in wing defence and they're putting a huge amount of pressure on for, for spots. And Paris Mason, similarly, in that defensive end. So they're, they're really exciting talent. And then another one we're bringing through at the moment is um, Rachel Price in the defensive end, and she's in the current Central Manawa programme. So you're just always wanting to make sure that players within our region can see a pathway and that we give them genuine opportunities to grow and develop. So two games a day today, two games a day tomorrow, and then one rounds it out on Sunday. That Correct. That's a workload. That is a big workload for the players. Yeah, it is. I think that's part of that. Um, you know, you don't develop match fitness unless you play matches, and we haven't had a huge number of them. So it's really important to yeah, certainly rotate for purpose. So ours is largely about making sure we've got those combinations. But equally, you want to see people run their legs out in a game. So the quarters are shortened, 12-minute quarters rather than the 15. So 
um, might not sound like much, but that gives them a little bit more of a rest, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another 12 minutes less that they have to run. So, But really important, they want to feel confident that they can run a game out by the time they start the Premiership next week. So all of those, uh, you know, little one percenters make a difference. Yeah, and, and I guess too, you, you'll have a, I guess it's like the rugby and the rugby league, an extended bench that you can utilise quite widely during a game. Yes, you're allowed 12 players in total. You're allowed that actually in the AZ Premiership, but by and large we contract 10. So we've brought 12 with us to this tournament and... Um, yeah, I think I've, look, I've never been one who kind of just runs them out constantly, but just trying for us strategically to think about where they would be and in what combination that we're likely to use. So, um, and I've got all of that. We're pretty you know, open about how we plan that out and then support them through. So going into this um, tournament, or, you know, we're not far away from the <clears throat> the season proper, I'd imagine you've sort of got your starting lineup, your preferred starting lineup, in a little pencil thing in the back of your mind. Do, do you think? I know you've only had one game out of five over this weekend, and you're probably open to change your opinion. Um, are you looking to try and maybe figure out who your top lineup is just from this tournament? Yeah, look, I by and large do that right at the start through the contracting period because I just think it's really important to know where you're heading and for players to have clarity about where you see them. doesn't mean that it stays that way, but by and large it does. So probably the biggest um, push at the moment, what I've been impressed with is the gaps really closed between those who I was clear about were going to be, um, you know, backup. So they were playing a backup role in, in X and Y position and actually they've really started to push. So, what I'm really confident with is not a lot has changed in terms of our initial plan, but in fact, when we have to make a change, the confidence in the player and more importantly in their teammates and their ability to come on and make a difference, we're certainly well ahead. So I think that's been really critical. Um, the clarity's number one for me. I think as long as I've got clarity, they've got an opportunity to, to keep pushing forward. So yeah, we're really clear. Kelly's been um, out with COVID, so she's on managed loads at the moment, but that's okay. She'll, she's still somebody in our starting line and knows that and, and doesn't have to panic about trying to push herself to get back any quicker. Um, you know I love all the pole skills, but there's one I'm really looking forward to watching this year is Christiana Manua. Just plays mm. with an intensity and a drive and a desire that I just love watching. It is, eh? And, and I think that's when you look at players who come into your group and you're trying to work out, you know, what are some of the gaps that we don't have? What are we needing? In particular places and that's what we identified and Chris is somebody who absolutely dogged in defence um, doesn't get flapped about anything you know she can get calls against her and she just gives the same thing week in week out no matter what so I agree with you she's been um, again that came from her experiences both in New Zealand and Australia but certainly her one-on-one marking but I just love her attitude she's just uh, never say die and never stop so we look forward to her producing some more of her best and hopefully pushing for um, some silver fern recognition. Mm, brilliant. All right, Yvette, I wish you all the very best for this weekend. I really appreciate you. you chatting to me mid-tournament and no doubt I'll catch up with you around the traps. No, mahi. Good to talk. Cheers. Yvette McCausland, Jerry there, wonderful coach of the Central Pulse and it's a pretty damn good looking team when you've got the likes of um, well, the silver ferns in the team, Maddie Gordon, Kelly Jury. 
Um, Cristiano Manu might not be a silver fern yet, but I don't think she'd be too far away. Um, Tiana Maturo, um, of course, the the wonderful combination she had with Aliyah Dunn is now gone with Aliyah transferring. So Tiana Maturo will take a leadership role in there. Uh, Paris Mason, who's been in the wider group for a number of years, she's she's into the full squad now. And of course, Silver Fern Whitney Sooner. So a really good centre court um, and Kelly Jury out the back. And Tiana up the front, it's a pretty nicely balanced side, but a lot of them are. So we will follow the netball with interest as the season is just around the corner. Uh, we will take a break uh, now. I've still got some text messages to catch up on the cricket or anything else you want to send in. Double eight double three is the Tampa Bed Post text machine number. Welcome your texts. Coffee in my favorite cup That's why I know Yes, I know Hallelujah, I just love it so I don't quite know why we've got a Ray Charles tribute uh, music anthology going on. Uh, Manaya, your choice, explain. I just woke up uh, with Ray Charles in my head and the only way to get a song out of your head is to play it. <laughs> and I thought, why don't I spread that misery with the listenership? <laughs> So now it's all stuck in all your heads, too. Oh, Ray Charles, Friday. There we go. Um, Brendan, afternoon. Read the cricket and selections. Do you think regarding some of these selections slash non-selections, do you think it matters where they play or are from? In brackets, player bias. Cricket is going downhill, both women and men. Uh, gosh, I just have to click another button. To uh, both women and men, New Zealand rugby is shambles at the top. It's not looking good ahead. I do feel like we're being a little bit left behind uh, in governance, in contracts. Um, the player sabbaticals with rugby irks people because when they come back, they're not the player they were when they left. The Trent Bolt situation, all problems have a starting point, and I feel like cricket's problems have hit a starting point within the last 12 months. I just hope there's a desire to be honest and flesh it out and improve the way forward because we are going to get left behind really quickly. Rory says, New Zealand cricket needs a serious clean-out. David White, he's been there too long. Stead and the selectors have had a good crack. If Trent Bolt was happy, he would have stayed around. Interesting take there as well. Um, from Jerry, yes, IPL has destroyed cricket, greed and envy. The rich and strong are getting stronger. That is, India, Australia and England. Look at everyone else live a slow death. And now that, that, that's fairly strong words, but I think everyone detects there's a bit of a slide going on and they need to have, do New Zealand cricket need a whiteboard session, for want of a better word, and just say, I think everyone's looking in the crystal ball and doesn't see a bright future for New Zealand cricket. It's not too late. Things can change, whether that's CEOs, coaches, captains, but it's definitely style of play. And I just keep going back to England cricket who were stale and they took a chance on Bruno McCullum. And within weeks slash months, England cricket is buoyant. They're effervescent. They're now setting the standards. All Blacks used to do that. 
now it's Ireland and France. We need to be the innovators. And we don't seem to be anymore. 0800-150-811 is the number that you can call us anytime. Uh, after this, sh- this though, not this, this Jeremy Paul Show. Just before we go to Jeremy Paul, I'm going to interrupt the Jeremy Paul show because I've been thinking about this guy for quite a while. He's our great friend, our great listener, Joe, from the city of my birth in Gisborne. Joe, so good to hear from you. Uh, Start that again, Joe. Welcome in. Hey, Steph, how's it going? Oh, mate, I've been worried about you. It's pretty bad here, mate. Um... Just uh, had all the water cut off just uh, in the last hour and really intermittent uh, phone coverage. I've had my phone come back on uh, about uh, 12 o'clock today for the first time in a week and really sparse internet coverage, some hot spots. Um, it's, I mean, I grew up uh, in Bowler you know, in, mm. in 80, 88 and it uh, was bad then, but it's got a lot worse now. Uh, the coast is pretty hammered. And now it's just starting to take effect once the rain's gone. You'd have seen the mess everywhere. Um, yeah, so it's pretty tough. We had a mate of ours pass away yesterday. Oh. Got caught in the water there at Tikaraka, so that's pretty pretty bad. Our mate's dad. And uh, yeah, just no, really amazing stuff. Eh? No, no internet service, no telecommunications. A lot of people just walk around and got no idea what they're doing. Can't buy anything for the first days. The old cashless society was no good. You had to have cash. And I've just set up a few Starlink systems uh, at a couple of supermarkets to, to let people in there. But it's like COVID-19. Yes, it sounds terrible, Joe. Like, I, I feel helpless because, you know, it just seems so far away, so disconnected. I've seen the pictures out of Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, Wairoa has been smashed as well. And the cleanup's going to take so long, Joe. I mean, you're looking at, you know, like like it's 10 to 15 years after bowling, especially down Wild or Hawke's Bay where those rivers let go. Um, you just seen, I mean, one of my ladies' uh, colleagues who had wiped out, you know, and we're in there from tomorrow on ripping out carpets and things like that. But then the dumps are full, so you've got nowhere to dump it all now. Yeah, I mean, that's all the aftermath, you know, that you don't see on television. You've got the Navy frigate sitting out there with water and food getting it into town, and now you've got the water turned off because the treatment plant has given way and the reservoir pipes are broken. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of community helping community. We just giving away a 1,000 hot dogs on the side of the road this morning. Just uh, cranked up a free barbecue and just started giving them away to people. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's not good, mate. On the ground, you know, last night with the Prime Minister saying, Oh, why are they so isolated, you know? Why can't people have communication? If you want to come and live here, you know, this is the coast. Uh, she's, she, you get nothing, you know, you get the handouts of the handouts over here. 
So, um, but yeah, put in perspective, listen to the sport's always good. <laughs> and uh, a transistor rep. Mm. Yeah, look, Joe, you probably have been off uh, comms for the last few days, but I can tell you we've been inundated with messages of support, sympathy, empathy, the whole shebang, and um, we really do feel for you, but your, your troopers down there, I know it, and just that little hot dog story just just fills me with just that little bit of joy. There's always something good in these horrific times, so I'm just so pleased to hear you and yours are okay, Joe, but it's a long road ahead. Um, I really appreciate you calling, mate. And all good stuff. Keep the keep the earwaves going, mate. So it's good to listen. But like I say, you know, be, get the shovel out and get the trailer out and start pouring out some mess for the next couple of months. Uh, anyway. All right, Good on we'll you, Joe. Soon, eh? Good Cheers, man. Jeffy. Thank you, Joe from Gizzy. I have been thinking about him and the devastation right along the coastlines of New Zealand. It's just been absolutely horrific. Um, so once again, and I can't say it enough, all of our thoughts. If you're able to listen in now, so it's good that it sounds like Gisborne's got sporadic coverage now, but it's just been devastated. All right, so good to hear from Joe. Um, now it's time to talk to Jeremy Paul. It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show. And it's a little bit more sombre this week, JP, with I'm sure you're across the devastation that's happened to Aotearoa over the last seven days since we spoke to you. It's quite hard to believe, mate. Oh, bro. Um, All my condolences and... Thoughts and prayers with everyone. Um, oh, it's just, it's awful, mate, to hear stories and to read stories about the devastation. And uh, we had we had a bit of a touch of of a you know some crazy storm cyclones coming down from the north, but obviously nothing in comparison to what's going on over there. So I just hope everyone's safe. Um, and uh, yeah, thinking of you guys. Righto, JP. Um, I'm going to go straight to the text because I didn't even ask for questions, but they've come in. Um, an interesting, lighter one here. JP, from Ken, your mate Ken, of course. Kenny! Yes. What's your barbecue go-to? Because I go the spit roast with a whole pig or lamb, um, and it's pre-season, NRL, go the Red V. Have a great day, JP. Cheers, Ken. What is your barbecue go-to? Mate, I, I love using the Weber. Um, so may you turn it once. That's all you got to do. And it's all done on time. Yeah. It's all done on time. So it's done on the thickness of the meat. My, mate, I, I'm a steak man, man. I just, and I love my, I actually love my lamb chops as well. So, um, but I, I like getting them really thick. And so I've now managed over a period of time of using the barbecue where I'll look at a piece of meat and I'll go, Oh, that's two minutes forty-two seconds right there. That one, like on one side, like I, I've got it down to the second for like a perfect medium rare to, to sort of rare type um, arrangement for me. And yeah, it's all it's all about the thickness, and you just got to put it down, put it right. On. I'm all about timers. I'm all about time, detail. Hear the beeps, flip that over really quickly, whack it back down, and then I've even got it to a point where I can stand, like get it nice and hot, and then I flick the heat off, and I go, oh, that's at least another minute, one thirty-seven seconds, a bit more time on that, just to get it to the right temp. Oh, I love it. I, love it. <laughs> um, I do want to talk some league, but I have had a rugby question come through for your yep. your thoughts on the Super Rugby uh, Pacific Law innovations for this season. What are your thoughts on those? <sighs> Good luck. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, look, it, th- these are things that um, needed to be looked at, particularly the scrummaging, like sitting there for two and a half minutes waiting for a scrum to be packed and then that needs to be repacked again is just it's diabolical for the game. Um, I like anything that is trying to speed the game up. Um, but again, I think it's the confusion. As, lo- as long as all the different referees imply the same rules, mate. Mm. Like that's that's always like they think it's actually the laws of the game that they need to change, but it's actually the interpretation of different countries and what referee from that country and how they interpret those laws. Or they like a French referee and bring out a law that hasn't been used in ten years. Ooh, still oh, dirty still dirty about that. <laughs> still dirty. Oh, time X Foley, eh? Still dirty. <laughs> oh no, but mate, it used to be like I, I I honestly believe like you've got to go to the root of the issue first. And then once you get consistency, and this is what it's all about, it's consistency. Because you'll get like and that's to bring fans over, right? Like because one week they watch a game and see an Australian referee who, I don't know why Australian referees love seeing themselves on the big screen. Timo, what is it? Like, Timo, I saw someone get slapped in the face. Timo, like, and then you'll have a New Zealand referee who I love, used to love being ref by New Zealand referees where they used to be just, they used to let all the tough stuff go in the rucks. Um, you'll get the Welsh referees that... Uh, don't mind a little bit of niggle from the side. Like, they don't really care about the offside line. The French referees, all they care about is the scrum. Um, think they know everything about the scrum too. So it, it's if they can if they can eliminate the inconsistencies of different referees from different countries and they all can referee the same, we'll have a far better game. Mm. Rugby league. What are you most excited better. about the NRL this year? Teams, players, what are you looking forward to? Mate, look, the moves. The moves have been fantastic, I think. Look, I think Newcastle, um, I think, have and, – and West Tigers have recruited incredibly well. Um, I think Jackson, Jackson Hastings going up to Newcastle from, from the Tigers will make a huge difference to – one of the best players, I believe, in the competition, and Kalen Ponga. Like he's um, he's been put at fullback because you've got to learn the game, right? Like you look at players like the great Darren Lockyer, who was fullback, moved into six. Like until you get that 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 vision, and you you're able to create time and space, not only for yourself but for players around you, that means you can see what's happening in front of you. And I think someone like Jackson Hastings will give Kalen Ponga the opportunity and the time and space to be able to show those wonderful feet of his is, is incredible acceleration off the mark. And I think if Caterpillar can stay fit for the year, the Knights will not only just make the finals, but they'll have a good crack. Um, Tigers, mate, Appy Coruscant. Wow. Look, if and, and same with the Bulldogs with Reed Marnie at Hooker. Hooker is Brandon Smith going to the Roosters. There's three more teams there that I just think um, – and with the Panthers losing Appy Coruscant, your hooker is is your spine, right? Like you got your hooker, your seven, your six, and your one are your spine. But I think hooker has actually become probably one of the most pivotal roles within rugby league. Um, their ability to run like Harry Grant down in Melbourne. Wow, what a player. He wins games on his own, right? Mm-hmm. Cam Smith, one of the greatest players of all time, was a hooker. They they are your general like they literally are like basically your tens 
nines, tens in rugby union. And if you've got a if you've got a very creative ball running um, and and understand the game and can control the game hooker, you'll go very deep into this competition. And I just think with the West Tigers taking Abby Coruscant, mate, he's won three premierships, like one with the South Sydney, and he played in that grand final with it was one of his first games. Um, you, you've, he's also won back-to-back, could have won three with the Panthers and has now gone to the Tigers. And Papali'i's there too. So just having that ability at nine, oh, mate, I think nine is, is the most important spot. So there's three teams um, that I believe will be, um, particularly the Knights and the Tigers, will, will be not down the bottom. Uh, and the Bulldogs as well. Obviously, they've recruited exceptionally well. Uh, big kick out um, running down. Imagine, imagine having 118 kilo like wrecking ball running at your halfback and all your number six all day. Like, it'd be, <laughs> mate, you'd wake up with nightmares. So, um, oh, look, and I think the Cowboys will be strong again um, after going, being probably disappointed after being knocked out. They would have had another good off season. Eels are going to be strong as again, uh, but losing Reed Marnie at hooker is going to be a big loss. Bit of contract negotiations with Mitchell Moses. Um, I don't think the Dolphins are going to do any good this year, mate. Look, look, they'll be lucky to win a couple of games, to be honest. Um, look, they they probably will win the back on the back of just having Wayne Bennett alone, right? But they've got to recruit um, far better players, and I think the the big one, mate, the big mover and shaker will be the Broncos. I think the Broncos will make the top four this year. Mm. Um, there's my pick with Reese Walsh. I think Reese Walsh at fullback, he again stays fit. Um, They've got uh, Josh Reynolds, like, and and you're 13 too, really, as a part of that spine as well. Um, and I just think that the Broncos this year, with a, a year under their belt um, of missing out on the finals, they've started to improve, like over the last two years, in that right direction. And I just think missing out on the finals last year, I think they're a top four contender. Sharks will be also up there as well, like. So I think this will be an incredibly close competition. Each week, each team will be able to beat each other. And my big pray for the year is I just hope Tom Trevojevic is okay mm. um, and Ryan Puppenhausen, two of the most extraordinary and exciting players within the competition who I love watching. Every time Turbo touches the ball, it's just like, wow, this freak of a kid. And and Ryan Pappenhausen, my God, this guy like Billy Slater all over. Um, and they've just had this awful run of injuries. And um, you hate seeing this, mate. I hate seeing like particularly players at that caliber. Well, we hate seeing it with any player, right? But I just I just hope they can stay on the field and 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 stay injury free. Josh is texting, and he said, "Has JP got a dilemma with which NRL team?" to support. Uh, born in New Zealand, Warriors, played for the Brumbies, Raiders, living in Sydney, take his pick. Who do you support? <laughs> <laughs> I see, that's pretty funny, isn't it? Um, look, I'm actually a Newcastle Knights supporter. Okay. I uh, Back in 1997, when they won their first competition, and I, I when I first came over from New Zealand, I because um, we used to get a little bit of the Winfield Cup. Remember that, eh? Yeah, the old yeah. Winfield Winnie Cup. And we used to get a little bit of New Zealand. But then when I moved to Australia in the early 90s, 91, I think it was, um, the old Henny Penny and Johnny Schuster was there, Tony Kemp. Um, 
So there's a couple of New Zealand players playing for the Knights and I used to love watching them play. And in 1997, I won my first grand final playing first grade. It was my first year in first grade. I was 20 years of age. Okay, here's the story, bro, very quickly. Yeah. Do you know, in 1996, I was in Colts in a team in Brisbane called East Tigers. I was playing my second year Colts. And we did this one night, this team building night, where they said, let's write your goals. Let's write your goals about what you want to achieve. And they put down what's your immediate goal, what's your long-term goal, and what's your unrealistic goal. So my medium goal was obviously play first grade for the club. Oh, sorry, to win a, a premiership with Colts that year. Long-term was to play first grade for the club in like, you know, a two or three years and we all put down there's a hundred Colts players we all put down as our unrealistic goal was to play in the 99 Rugby World Cup <laughs> and I, I was 18 at the time or just turned yeah 18 turning 19 and we all said what's the most unrealistic thing that will ever happen and I did it so I was like there you go there's a little story from my past I only just figured that out the other week wow. um, yeah 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 it's quite amazing isn't it like I was like I was like, here, here we were, 100 kids, and we all put the same thing. And I actually did it. Um, and so in 97, when um, Darren Albert scored that try against Manly in the last seconds and Newcastle won their first premiership, I won my very first premiership with East Tigers, who was our 50th anniversary that year, and we'd never won a premiership before. And <laughs> I was actually in the papers on Monday morning, in Monday's papers, because I was still in my playing kit from, from Sunday, <laughs> drinking at the pub. And that evening, Eddie Jones rang me and said, because someone had actually hurt themselves and they were going on a development tour for the Brumbies about a month later, and rang me that night, on the landline, they had my manager had to find me at one of the pubs. You've got to be back at this. You've got to be on this landline by eight o'clock because Eddie Jones is going to call you and ask me to go on the Brumbies development tour, which I ended up that started my career. Wow, it's amazing. Hey, there's just these little go. turning points in international careers, and that was yours. That was mine. Like, thank God the guy got a hold of me for starters at the pub because he read the paper and knew that I was at the pub in my playing kit. <laughs> made sure I got home to the landline um, and a bloke actually ended up getting injured and they took me because I played Australian under 21s that year because I was still only 20 so I still had another year and they were taking me as cover and then on my first game we went on an eight game development tour which 10 wallabies came out of that tour mate wow. like that development tour in 97 with the Brumbies tour to where um, we toured to Scotland and England old school on a bus playing two games a week and old school in terms of like going out drinking it like with Eddie Jones on his very first tour as a Brumbies coach. And it was just, mate, we were all kids, all kids. Like we were literally, no one was over the age. I think we had a couple of older guys. Rod Kafer was on that tour and I think he was the oldest guy there at 26 or something. So uh, or 25 or something. So we, yeah, he was just a development tour to sort of see what it was like. And, mate, we were playing men. Like, we played against Mosley. Oh, here's another thing for you too. We played against Mosley, who was the feeder club to Gloucester in, in 1997 on a rainy day. I was playing against tight I was playing against 38-year-olds, mate, and I was 20. And... <laughs> It was pouring down rain. I ended up scoring two tries. I got a contract straight after that game, actually. And you wouldn't believe it, but 
11, 12 years later, I went to Gloucester in 2007, 2008. I was was a little bit off the rails, to be honest, um, going through a divorce. And I ended up playing my last game for (laughs) Mosley. Feed a club to Gloucester. So my first game was against Mosley and my last was against Mosley. For Mosley. For Mosley. What a way to book into career. My God. That is amazing. Yeah, great, great finish. <laughs> yeah, just awesome. Mate, we've got to push off because we've got to, go, got to get to an ad break and I don't want to cut it off uh, very impolitely. As always, marvellous to chat to you, JP. Super Rugby just around the corner. Oh, I can't wait. And there's an awesome preview in the New Zealand Rugby News, mate. My, one, of my articles, one of my articles just bounced out on that. If you want a good read about who's going to be Australia's top players this year, Ooh. great read. Great, re- and they've got great editors there to, to fix spelling mistakes. They do, old Campbell Burns. Burns are your legend. <laughs> Good on you, JP. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Steph. See Catch you, up. See you, mate. Yep, Rugby News. So you definitely want to get the season preview. And uh, Jeremy Paul casting his eye over the Aussie players as well. Just gone 20 past. We'll take a break and we will come back. Unchain my heart. Oh, Ray Charles, <clears throat> great to have his company uh, this afternoon to wind out the week. Uh, Michael, great man in Wellington, is just telling us there's two friendly games tonight. The Football Ferns versus Portugal, is it? In Hamilton at 7 o'clock and North Harbour Stadium uh, hosting Argentina against Chile. I'd say that crowd uh, atmosphere is probably going to be better at the North Harbour Stadium. Argentinian and Chile, the oh, the red-blooded South Americans going up against each other. That would be fantastic. I wonder if they're televised. I wonder if they're televised. I'm not 100% sure. Um, we're going to take new sport and weather. On the other side of that, 2.30, the great man, Piero Cameron, former tall black coach, player, world uh, world team of the year when they came fourth at the World Champs in 2004? Two. Two. Long time ago, 20 years ago. But Piero Cameron joins the show straight after news. Mother, 
just having a couple of issues getting through to Australia to talk to Piero Cameron. Um, just to bring you up to date, the break is going down 89.78 to the Jack Jumpers. So the decider for that that side of the semi-final draw will be on Sunday here in New Zealand. Gosh, hopefully, hopefully. Um, the Kings and the Taipans. Uh, the Kings won the first match of that, 95.87. I think they've got the second one tonight. I'm pretty sure in saying that. Um, bringing up speed with the golf as well, uh, PGA Tour, um, which is the Genesis Invitational. All the rock stars are there. Uh, Max Homer and Keith Mitchell are leading with rounds of 64, so they're seven under. John Rahm sits third, one shot back. I heard a stat the other day. He's finished in the top 10 every tournament he's been in since mid-December or something crazy like that. Then the veteran Matt Kuchar, Colin Morikawa is at five under, as is Harris English, and the big news, I guess, is Tiger Woods looked like he was capitulating, but he birdied his last three holes, so uh, a two under round of 69 for Tiger, tied 27th. But we've got our comms through to Australia. PC, Piero Cameron joins the show. G'day, Piero. How's it going, mate? How are you? I'm very well. Are you still in the Gold Coast? Yeah, I am, mate. Um, still there. Coaching? Coaching, yeah. I'm at, uh, doing a couple of things there. I'm a coaching director at the Gold Coast um, basketball there and also at a school and uh, just finished with the Bullets uh, recently. So, yeah, a little bit of coaching. Good time. So you obviously kept your eyes on the, on the basketball league over there. Nervous times for Breakers fans. They were that game last night. PC um, not a great hunting ground for New Zealand uh, for the Breakers down there in Tasmania. Lost eleven of their last twelve. They got a better team this year, but they were pumped by the Jack Jumpers. Uh, just Jack Jumpers to me looked like they just messed the game up, and the Breakers couldn't respond. I think you know a little bit in that. Uh, you know, it's hard to get a win and down there on the island in Tasmania and, and the Jack Jumpers have been pretty tough all, all, all year, uh, whoever's come to that area. Uh, and, you know, it's back up uh, a great win in Auckland the other day and then uh, just managed to get out of there, both teams, and go there. You know, it's asking for a lot to come back with another one, but, uh, you know, they had a good shake at it. It was a good game and um, the, the Jack Jumpers had a couple of big shots at the end of the game and a couple didn't fall the other way for the breakers so it was a great game uh, it's built for an even exciting game coming up shortly Milton Boyle was on fire clearly the best player um, out there on the court he, they're going to have to find a way to shut him down yeah he's he's a big game player he's a, an athlete when, when he gets to the spots he just jumps and raises above you he's, he's tall and he's a good athlete and he, get the shots off. Um, I thought they made a couple of real good adjustments uh, on their short roll action, uh, getting the, their shooters good shots at the end of the game uh, through Magne, and that's something we're used to seeing the breakers do with Pardon and um, Brantley with their bigs, and you know, seeing uh, their better players knock down those jumpers. Um, but it's going to be an exciting third game, and you know it's great to see. Normally, in regular season, you might lose a game to a team like the Jack Jumpers, and you have to wait five or six weeks before you play them again. Playing them three times in a row, 
Which of these operations does does that suit better, the jack jumpers or the breakers? It's a tough one. You know, both teams have their strengths. I think uh, in the half court, the breakers are very precise and they're able to get to exactly what they want. And, and you know, they've been throwing the ball in the post throughout the season and, and getting a lot of success there with their bigs. Uh, but they have great shooting as well, uh, especially off the bench. The bench is strong. Um, and, and, the, and their guards um, have been really good with McDowell, White, Leafa and Brown. Uh, so I think, you know, if things go their way and their three guards get off a little, it'll free their bigs. And, uh, you know, their, their strength is uh, as many as being their defence, their full-court defence, and just being able to hold teams under what they normally average. You know, it was a... It was uh, not many points scored in their first quarter, and that was telling. You know, it was, it was just a matter of time before some sides started to slip, just because of the intensity on defense. You know, they're just full court wearing them out the whole time. So it's going to be interesting. You've been around basketball a long time. Can you put how you equate to the importance of home court advantage? What does that do for a player in a coaching setup when you're at home? a lot of things you're very familiar with everything the courts the scoreboard the crowd uh, sleeping in your own bed preparation very similar we're having a routine what you've been doing and you know I think for the breakers they can although this is their first year back for a couple of years I think um, they've responded hugely and um, come together as a group and have a great connection and I think uh, the crowd in Auckland is going to be huge um, but generally, home court advantage tends to help uh, the home team immensely. Um, but also, there's something to be said for you know bringing the group together when you're on the road. It's only you, and you go into hostile territory, and it's something that um, makes you kind of that fight or flight mode, you know. And I think uh, this is a do or die situation. Uh, they could come together and produce a pretty good performance and finally it's interesting yeah finally Piero you've been in the coaching ranks a long long time what have you made of the impact of Modi Mayor to this breakers outfit he's getting a lot of accolades over the side of the Tasman oh I think he's he's built this team it's a a solid team and you know on paper they look pretty good at the start and I think they've worked um, about what they want to do and something they haven't had in the past couple of years. Or, you know, they've had a lot of interruption, not being out of hand, uh, home games, should I say. But, you know, he's done a pretty good job. It's obvious <clears throat> the, the players look like they enjoy each other's company when they play together and the expectation is high within the group and I think he's done a good job, really good job and it's showing, you know, a second place in a pretty tough competition and they are the only... Uh, outside Australian-based team um, uh, in their competition, and they've come through some great results. And it hasn't been easy, um, but, you know, it's done a great job. Brilliant, PC. Always good to catch up with you, buddy. We'll stay in touch. All good. Cheers, buddy. Peter Cameron out of the Gold Coast, still very entrenched in... um, in basketball, uh, England have taken another wicket. New Zealand are 82 for four. Neil Wagner, a bright and breezy 27, but he's been dismissed. Uh, Devin Conway not out 37, and Daryl Mitchell has just joined him on 
zero. Give us a call if you want to play the vault. 0800 150 $100 up for grabs. Questions. One answer. Can you crack the vault? Now, as I said at the start of the show, I am going to give the questions that were asked uh, earlier in the week because it hasn't been played lately because we kind of just didn't get it. So here's what we've had so far. Is it a team sport? Yes. Are there 13 players? No. Summer sport? No. Round ball? Yes. Are there 10 outfield players? No. Are batsmen involved? No. So from that, it is a winter sport. It is a team sport. Uh, with a round ball. We go to the lines, and I'm being told it's James. G'day, James. G'day, Staffy. How are you? Good, thank you, James. Right, you get five questions, my friend, and $100 TRB bonus bet if you can nail it. Brilliant. Question one. Does this event take place in New Zealand? I don't know, but Manaya does. Does it take place in New Zealand? No, doesn't. No. Sorry, James. Question two. I'll stay on the geographical. Okay. <laughs> Keep did the map handy. Event, did this event take place in Europe? In Europe? That's half the world now, New Zealand and Europe. Yeah, let me just spin my globe here. <laughs> no. No. It did not happen in Europe. Here we go. So it's not the was Russian Kabaddi moment Was this moment... Uh, did this moment involve male athletes? Involve male athletes? Good question. I don't really see the world through that lens, but yes, it did. <laughs> it did involve male athletes. Yes. Winter sport, round ball. Male, male athletes. athletes. Not involving 10 outfield players, not involving 13 players, not involving a bat. I've got a question. Good. Did this moment take place indoors? Indoors? That's an interesting take. This moment did occur indoors. Oh! Hmm. Question five. Oh. Oh, it's a round ball, yes. Okay, I feel it. <laughs> Did this moment, I know I'm being very geographical, but I hope if I don't get it, it'll help the next. Did this moment take place in the United States or Canada? Okay, so either of the United States or Canada. Did it happen okay. in either of those two? Yes, it did. It did happen in the United oh. States or Canada. Right. North America. That's what we call it. Yeah. Is Canada North America? Yeah. It is. Okay. Took place in North America. Okay. So now your wild guess. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Kyrie Irving step back three in game seven of the NBA finals. Cleveland Cavaliers come back, win the series 4 3. Wow. It's exact. It's very specific. I'm, I'm excited. But is it the right answer? Let's chuck that into the vault. Spin it back that way. Oh. 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 You made some good ground, though, James. 
Thank you very much, team. Hopefully the next person picks it up. Cheers. There he is. He got close. So what do we have? Not New Zealand. Not no. in Europe. Well, it's actually, it's, it's, in, it's in North America. It's in North America. It's indoors. And it's male athletes involved in the sporting moment. Yes. Progress. Would you say that's good progress from those five, Manoa? I'd say, yeah, to be able to whittle it down to a North American sport that happens indoors. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty. With a round ball. With a round. Not a lot of sports indoors have oval balls. In fact, I can't think of one. <laughs> um, Flag football. Uh, yeah. A shuttlecock, perhaps, but. Off season NFL. I oh, know that's oval. Most indoor sports have a round ball, don't they? Yes. Uh, another wicket, 83 for five. Conway. 38, Blundell is on nothing. Um, so that means Daryl Mitchell went out for nothing. Off 10, LBW to Robinson. New Zealand currently 83 for 5, going at three runs and over, thanks to Neil Wagner for lifting the run rate. Um, remember we were talking about the power play that went on. Uh, the most popular one, Brennan Popper was telling us, Wagner to make 15 and Conway to make 50. That was heavily backed. Wagner did his job. He made 27. Conway is 12 runs away from getting to his 50. Mm. And Blundell's just uh, resuming, uh, sorry, just starting his innings. He is nothing off three runs at the moment. James Anderson's taken two for 19. Stuart Broad, one for 48. And Ollie Robinson is two for 11. I just wanted to quickly give you, I went through the scoreboard for... Uh, the men's PGA, and of course you've heard in our news that Lydia Ko is joint leader at minus eight, a uh, round of 64, alongside uh, Padre Anan Rukan. Anan Rukan, a uh, Thai player, and Atea Titikul, she's a very good Thai player as well, and Aditi Ashok, who I remember from the Olympic Games, a wonderful swing on her, the Indian golfer, um, but there's a stack of good players all in behind Lydia Coat. We wish her all the very best. We'll take a break. We'll round out the hour shortly. He looked down into her brown eyes and said, say a prayer for me. She threw her arms around him, whispered, God will keep us free. They could hear the riders coming. He said, this is my last fight. If they take me back to Texas, they won't take me back alive. There were seven Spanish angels at the altar of the sun. They were praying for the lovers in the valley of the guns. That's a special request that came in for a Rachel song. Uh, I'm trying to find who requested that. Jerry, please give me my favourite all-time Rachel tune, Seven Spanish Angels. And I think Willie Nelson did a version of that as well, actually. Uh, Michael's let us know that the football ferns are playing Portugal on Sky Sport 2. Argentina are playing Chile on Sky Sport 9. Michael. Tremendous. You are a fountain of information. You also asked where the All Blacks are playing their test matches this year, given that a number of grounds are out for the FIFA World Cup. I can tell you this, people. The All Blacks play Australia on the 5th of August at Forsyth Bar Dunedin. They go away and play in Argentina. Then they come back here. They play the Springboks at Mount Smart Stadium on the 15th of July. 
Um, 29th of July, Bledisloe Cup. Australia will be hosting the All Blacks. No venue is decided yet. I guess they're going to try and find one um, because their main stadiums are out for the FIFA World Cup as well. And then, then we're into Rugby World Cup warm-ups. Uh, the All Blacks play the Springboks at Twickenham. Um, and then they're into the World Cup proper. It's going to happen very quickly. It's going to approach us very, very quickly. 87 for 5, the Black Caps. Blundell still yet to score. Conway on 42. Can we avoid the follow-on? We need another 40 runs to do that. We'll keep an eye on it. Welcome back in. Just gone 3 o'clock, and as we are all very aware that uh, big, big pockets of New Zealand, particularly... um, the Hawks Bay, Wairua, Gisborne, Coromandel, the whole shooting box has been badly, badly affected. And um, joining us on the line now is Justine Slater, she's CEO of the New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders Association. And of course, um, big properties, and there's a lot of trainers and equestrian outfits there, and they're trying to get some help organised for the people affected. Justine joins us now. G'day, Justine. Hi there, how are you going? Very well. It's um, it's horrific out there what is happening and it's going to be a long time to, to come right. But I understand um, yourself at Thoroughbred Breeders Association, New Zealand Thoroughbreds and Dunstan Horse Feeds, you, you want to do something to help? Uh, yes, so yesterday morning Cameron George rang me and he'd been speaking to David Smith at Dunstan and I suppose... You know, the first thing you want to do is is get help to people that require it. And we all know, you know, as equestrians, how um, our horses mean so much to us all. So that's how that came about, that we could immediately try and get some feed, um, you know, Dunstan have provided down to the bay to assist um, anyone that requires it. And so that's happened. Um, I think going forward... uh, you know, this is going to be a long-term um, event, isn't it? It's, it's not going to be solved in a week. So um, I think we'll regroup and look at other ways we can assist. Yeah, because we've seen how deep the water was. So it's been going through stables and paddocks and feed just disappears. And, you know, horses are big animals and they take a lot of feeding. So what actually has been organised between you three organisations? In the first instance, it was just to get that feed down there to Hawke's Bay Racing Club. And uh, the team at Hawke's Bay have just been exceptional. Um, Aaron um, Hamilton from Hawke's Bay, he's just been superb in organising assistance and and a drop-off point for feed so people know that they can go um, to locations. And he just prior to me talking to you um, has managed to send me an email and in that email, he said he's got horse feed going to three locations across the Hawke's Bay, Waipakarau Racecourse, Riding for the Disabled Arena in Napier, and the Hastings Racecourse. So the people that may, well, they're going to be in need of some feed for their horses almost immediately. Do they contact one of those three to, to see how they can um, get their hands on some feed for their, for their beautiful animals? Absolutely. Um, obviously, as you'll understand, communications between us are a little bit spasmodic. Um, but uh, according to this email, I think you would just front up and there'll be feed there from what I'm understanding. And also he's got at Hook, Hastings Racecourse, they've set up some vet services, services. So if there's injured animals, they can be taken there 
and SPCA um, are there as well. So everyone's just pulling together down there to make sure that um, people and horses, like he's also organised food. They've got community meals there tonight. Um, so if people need food, shower, mattresses, um, and there's an emergency response team setting up there tomorrow. So that really is going to be the community hub, the race course. So if people need anything, go to the race course. It's great to hear them helping people. And we, we on the station here have a lot of calls from people saying, how can we help? And I see that uh, Love Racing on their website, they've got a way that you can help. They've got a bank account you can donate to and you put Cyclone Appeal as the reference. Uh, New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing have already tipped in 50000 themselves, but these animals aren't cheap to feed. So you know, do we encourage people to, to maybe go to the Love Racing website if they want to help? Absolutely, and that, that money will be not, I imagine, just used for feed. I mean, there's people in need. Um, you know, it, it's this is ongoing for people. I mean, I've had messages from friends that have had their whole properties annihilated. They've got horses, they don't know where they are, stock, they've got no home, they're standing there in their clothes. I think the stories that are going to come out will just be um, I, I don't think we can actually comprehend what they've been through. So I think people need to look after themselves too, as well as their animals. And um, rural support have come to the party. We've had an association with them here in the Waikato, and um, they are also active in the Hawke's Bay region. So there's a number if anyone needs to call, which I can give you. Yep, go um, ahead. And they'll point you in the right direction. So it's 0800 787 254 and that's rural support Brilliant Justine, so, thank you for the initiative Thank, thanks to you NZTR NZTBA and also to Dunstan Horsefeed, very much needed support and I, and I thank you for giving us time to share that message today Yeah and just hop on our Facebook page there I've just shared a link from Federated Farmers and Rural Support if you wish to help in any way like providing hay, silage, people on the ground and this will go on um, in the next months if you want to register there, they will contact you so we can actually have a consolidated approach between everyone, not just randoms, because the infrastructure down there is very fragile. We don't need everyone charging down there. So um, that's probably a bit of advice. No, brilliant. Thank you so much, Justine. No worries. Thanks. Thank you, Justine Bye. Slater Bye. there from New Zealand Thoroughbred Breeders Association, so go to those Facebook pages or the Love Racing website. Um, we're going to take a break after this. We're going to replay your chat that we played out on Monday. It's with Lee Ellis because a lot of people have been off uh, being able to listen to us. It was such good chat. We thought we'd bring it to you again. He's a, he's a man that's going to play 20 games of pickup basketball in 20 cities, 20 different countries over the next wee while. Lee Ellis after the break. Something a little bit different now for you. This guy is doing something that I could never dream of doing. I'd probably do it in golf. He's doing it in basketball. His name's Lee Ellis. 20 games of basketball, 20 countries, 20 cities. Sounds like a dream. Lee Ellis, welcome in. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. Um, probably better known for your No Dunks podcast that was part of some big basketball stables, thousands of episodes that you put in basketball, and you walked away. You, you walked away from broadcasting and from podcasting. You're a, you're a very well-known name in NBA circles for people that consume uh, basketball content. Can, can I ask why you walked away from that? Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been doing the, uh, the sort of podcast analyst TV role for about 11 years. 
um, and following the game for honestly like, well, probably close to 30 years following it. And I just sort of, uh, I, I, I travel a lot with my family and whenever I travel, I try to find a game of basketball out on the street. I just That's just something I've always done. Even before I was married and had kids, I used to do that. And now with social media the way that it is, I would sort of go to a place, I was in Berlin and Barcelona and places like that, and people would say, well, man, if you ever come to my city, you know, you've got to come and play basketball, you've got to come and do this. And, and I didn't think too much of it at first. And then I just got so many people from all over the world, uh, tons from New Zealand, actually. I've got to get down to New Zealand, make it like a three or four city stop. But uh, from all over the world saying, come and do this. And I sort of said to my wife, I, I said, I mean, I, I, is this now these days the way that you know media is and, and the way that people can create their own content? Is this something I can really turn into a to an adventure? And you know, so it took a little bit of um, sort of going over the logistics of it and, and how it would work. And then we both realised, like, listen, if you want to give something like this a go, a bit of an Australian and a New Zealand attitude is like you just got to have a crack at things in life, you know. And and that's kind of where I got to, where I was like. All right, let's let's do it because it's not something you can do as a sort of part-time um, hobby or you know something you can be half in and half out. I think you have to go full on head first into these sorts of things. And so I decided it was now or never, and I, I decided I'd give it a go. So um, you know, I, I think it was sort of an idea that I didn't really come up with myself. It sort of was forced on me, like so many people giving me this in- encouragement and this um, inspiration that I could maybe do it. And I just realised like. If you're going to do it, no one's going to come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you want to go out and do this? You've got to go and do it yourself. And uh, that's the decision I made. Happy with the decision? Oh, yeah, very happy. I mean, something like this, you don't. I, I don't think you do it and then three months later you say, you know what, scrap that, I'm going back to where I was. I think you've got to give yourself a good 12 to 18 months to give it a real chance to work. Um, and at that point, then if it's not working and, and by not working, I mean, if it's not getting any traction or interaction or engagement, then, then I think the audience will tell you that. But I, I believe that, um, it was like when I first went backpacking from, from out of home when I was in Australia, when I was only 22, I remember after the first month, I felt a bit homesick and I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'm just going to go home and go back to my job. And then something sort of happened, something changed in me. And I was like, if you're going to do this, then give it a year or two, give it some time for it to, to adjust and to, to be a new um, a new part of your life and then make a decision from there. But I, I just don't think you make a big decision like this and then backtrack after five minutes. I think you, you've got to get to a point where you've exhausted a few avenues and you fight a few shots. And, uh, you know, basically uh, th- that that's what I'm doing right now. Is I'm, I'm any sort of idea that pops into my head, any sort of content creation idea that I can incorporate into this series, I'm going with it uh, and seeing how far it can take me. So I, I think you know when you when you actually get to that position where you're like, right, well, I decided I'm going to go and do this. I'm not going to give up until I've really feel like I've given it my best effort. And uh, I'm only three months in, so I think I've got. I, I think I've got another probably 12 to 15 months before I'll have any sort of real idea as to whether or not it'll work. And, and it's one of those things, it's a work in progress anyway. You know, things don't usually give you a definitive answer straight away. It's, you learn from uh, as you're going along, and, and that's what I've found so far. You see, I, that's quite inspiring to hear because I think most of us are all um, hindered by preconceived boundaries of our lives and stay within our paddock and too scared to jump the fence and and go for it so I'm just wondering what's happened to you in your life to be able to take that you know this is a big chance you got you got a wife and kids I'd imagine you got a mortgage you've yep. got bills to pay what what what's what's happened or what's within you to be able to say I'm going to give it a crack 
Well, as I was saying earlier, when I go back to when I first went backpacking, it was the same situation. I had a very comfortable job. I was living at home. You know, as a 22-year-old, you don't have too many stresses in life. You think you do at the time, but you don't. You know, I had no mortgage. I had no kids. So there was no one really who was who was at risk other than myself. Um, but then as I learned from living abroad and, and traveling around, it's like so many things happen in life if you go and make something happen. Now, it might not always go great. It might not always be perfect, but you, you learn. And it just gives you that sort of motivation to try other things. And then talking about my wife, I mean, I met her at a situation where Australia and New Zealand have that reciprocal agreement with the Canadian government. We get a one-year working holiday visa. And I, and I got that. And I went to Canada. I had no I had no job. I had no girlfriend. And I was like, I'm just here for a year to have some fun, travel around, you know, pick up work as, as we tend to do. And then about six weeks or so after I arrived in Toronto, I met this girl and I said, all right, well, nothing, nothing serious because I'm not sticking around. You know, I'm leaving. We started seeing each other for the majority of the time I was there. And then when I had to leave, we started this long distance type of relationship. And it was, you know, I was about 30 at the time and she, she's pretty much the same age. She's two weeks younger than me. And we'd been apart for about, I don't know, six weeks or two months and we were planning to meet up. And I, I, even then I was like, look, this is kind of a waste of time. I mean, there's no, you can't really have a long distance relationship unless there's an end goal of being together. And so in that sense, I, I actually proposed to her on the phone from a phone box in London <laughs> on, on one of the old phone cards. Kids probably don't know what phone cards are these days, but I had a phone card. We were planning a little get-together, and then I sort of said to her, at the end of the conversation, because I thought she was going to say, oh, marriage is a bit of a big, big jump, you know, big step in our relationship. And I said, so listen, I, you know, I really like you, and I think and the only way this is going to work if we get married. So, you know, do you want to get married? Thinking she would say no, and she's like, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm moving back to Toronto then. So, you know, things, things like that have happened where I've realized uh, if you wait for the timing to be right for things in life, you often never do anything. You, you've got to sometimes just create those situations and you've just got to almost ignore the timing and say, if you want to do it, then go for it and, and live with the consequences. Because again, for the most part, I think, as you were saying earlier, we imagine the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario for me right now is, oh, I'll never find another job in the NBA or anywhere again. It's like, well, of course I'll find a job if I need to. But again, if you really are going to give something a chance, then you've got to invest some time and effort and, and, and money into it and see where it takes you. So I, I just feel that that's where I am right now. I've, I've had a few chances in life where, it, where I didn't know what the outcome was going to be or wasn't what I was expecting. I've tried it anyway, and it's turned out pretty good. So hopefully uh, this will have a similar outcome. So you, you're targeting 20 countries, 20 cities, very different cultures. Uh, you've ticked off a few so far. So where have you been so far? Yeah, so I started in Frankfurt, Germany, although that was actually unplanned because I was flying from Atlanta to Slovenia and I had a delayed flight out of Atlanta. So I had 12 hours in Frankfurt. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to sit at the airport and complain about the airline. I went out and, uh, and found a basketball court, started shooting around, and had, a, had an incredible time. So I got a bonus city there. In Frankfurt, uh, from there I went down to Ljubljana in Slovenia. I met up with Luka Doncic's dad. Had a great interview with him. Had a great dinner with him. Incredible Slovenian barbecue that went for like five hours. I was drunk at the end of it, full of food. And, and uh, Sasha Doncic is like, "Yeah, drink more, drink more, eat more." I'm like, Sasha, I've got to get a bus at like six in the morning for Zagreb. I haven't packed. I haven't done it. He's like, "Come on, stay." And I'm like, "I got to go." Anyway, from uh, from Ljubljana we went to Zagreb. Uh, played down in, in Zagreb, in uh, Dubrovnik and Šibenik as well, two very, very uh, awesome places in Croatia. 
Then it was over to Belgrade in Serbia and down to Athens in Greece was where the first league ended. So uh, all along the way, I, I, I mean, I bumped into Drazen Petrovic's mother in Zagreb as well, which was incredible. I wasn't didn't plan that, wasn't expecting to. She showed me around the museum dedicated to her son Drazen there. So uh, along the way already, I've, I've had you know some incredible experiences that I simply could not have imagined or prepared for because they happen just by traveling and by being in a situation that you, uh, you're you out of your comfort zone there. So I feel very motivated and inspired by that. I mean, look, it's not all peaches and cream. There's certainly been a few obstacles and setbacks along the way. Uh, but again, I think you if you if you think everything's going to be perfect, then you're kidding yourself. You've got to understand and, and, and roll with the punches as they come. Like the, like the delayed flight out of Atlanta, I was like, oh my God, we're going to miss our connection to Slovenia. We did. And then they said, well, you've got 12 hours in Frankfurt. And I'm like, well, 12 hours is long enough to do something. And I ended up having a, a fantastic experience there in Germany. So do you literally, do you plan the courts you're going to go to or do you hit the city and then just cruise around, find a court and try and find a pickup game of ball? No, I do plan them in advance, uh, especially in Croatia because they had some of the most amazing courts. Uh, the one in Dubrovnik overlooking the Adriatic Sea is probably the most beautiful court I've ever seen in my life because Dubrovnik itself, is a magically beautiful place. All of Croatia is. But this one, with the sun setting over the sea and the backdrop there, it's just it's so perfect. So, and, and then in Belgrade, there's a really, really cool couple of courts inside, a, uh, inside the Belgrade Fortress there, which is like an old castle. So you're playing inside a castle that's 2,500 years old. You're playing basketball. That, that's, that's really, really cool. And then in Athens, I actually played two games because I'd, I picked up a bit of momentum along the way and people saying, well, if I know you're coming to Athens. You've got to play at this court and this court. And, and so I did. Uh, and I played it again at a couple of really good courts. One of them overlooked the city and the other one was just in a slightly different part of the town. But that's it. I mean, I, I do have them planned, but I'm also very flexible. If someone says, hey, you've got to play at this court because of the scenery, then I, I always try to fit it into the itinerary if I can. And uh, I'm, I'm heading to Cape Town here in a few weeks in South Africa, and there's apparently a couple of courts with Table Mountain in the back there, and apparently it's, it's really, really beautiful. So that's what I'm looking forward to uh, that, that's next up on the itinerary. So how do you pick, like, I understand you've had, like, thousands of invites. How do you pick which ones you go to? Well, so, for example, this trip works well timing-wise because the African countries that I'm visiting are in the Southern Hemisphere, so it's summertime. Right now, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's, it's, it's the middle of winter, so Europe is not really the place to go um, because I want to play outdoors as well. I don't want to play indoor courts. And so if the timing for South Africa, Zambia, and Kenya was really, really good. And, then, and in addition to that, when I announced I was leaving the No Dunks guys, um, immediately three different people from uh, those countries said, you've got to come to Africa. And so it, I was able to say, okay, well, I've got interest in Cape Town. I've got interest in Lusaka. And then I've got interest in Nairobi. I can probably sort of, you know, plan those ones out to uh, make them all happen together. And so so that's what it is. I mean, ideally, I'd probably do five or six countries while I can there in Africa. But, uh, you know, I'm a father and a husband first. So I, I couldn't spend, I can't spend months away from my family uh, to try to do this. So I'm doing it all in about about 16 days I'll be on the road uh, or 16 days on the ground. Add, add a couple of travel days in there. So I'm gone for about 18 days. But uh, I've got some really exciting things lined up in those cities. Apparently, apparently, according to the Instagram direct messages, I'm, I'm big in Zambia. So uh, I'm going to go and find out. <laughs> <laughs> Zambia. Can, can we talk about, like, um, the difference in 
in courts and in, in, in hoops? Like, have you come across some of those, um, I don't know if it's the right word to say, those ghetto hoops where you have the, the hard hoops and, and the chainmail nets that last forever? Yeah. Are they all, all over the place? How, how different are the courts that you play on? Yeah, well, that's the other thing is, so um, I like to experience those different courts and the different surfaces just to sort of explain the story to people and show show that, again, I'm not looking for, like, the perfectly manicured, like, the best court you can play on because, to me, the older ones tend to have a little bit more history to them, maybe a little bit more of a story behind them. So that definitely happened in Zagreb. I played on one that was uh, a bit of an ankle twister, that's for sure, but uh, it was a, a, a legendary historic one because it was where Drazen Petrovic first played for Sabona. So... That was really, really cool. Um, and then the, the courts in uh, Belgrade, I, I mentioned they're inside the fortress that's 2,500 years old, but they were really well laid because they have in the summer these high-quality uh, three-on-three tournaments. So the, the, the quality of the courts and the rims and all that are actually really, really good. So that made it fun to play on. And it's not just hard cement that you're playing on. It's that sort of spongy surface that you sometimes see in like kids' indoor playgrounds, you know, the ones where they, so if the kids hit the deck, they're not going to, like, break any bones or anything like that. It's, it's a bit of a spongier surface that gives them a chance to uh, sort of bounce back up and get going. So that was the surfaces there. In Greece, uh, the ones I played on, they were they were actually just classic concrete ones. So uh, you have to be a little bit careful because that also tends to have a bit more of an impact on the joints, the knees and the ankles afterwards. So uh, by the end of the trip, I was like, oh, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure how, how hard I'm going to run on these courts here, but uh, it, it turned out fine in the end because we, you know, again, the, the games aren't about trying to be some sort of street ball legend or anything like that. It's about just playing to have fun. So you, uh, I, I was on the, I spent the last two games pretty much on the perimeter, just firing away from uh, downtown. So I didn't do too much damage there. But <laughs> the biggest difference, the biggest difference in the game quality is where I play here in the United States. It's it's all five on five full court when you have the numbers. Um, but that tends to be uh, also what happens is a lot of one-on-one within that. There's a lot of a lot of that uh, and one type of stuff where guys want to show off how how good their handles are or whatever. But in the Balkans, especially, they play a lot more three-on-three half court, and three-on-three is actually much better to play pickup basketball one because you're involved in almost every possession on the defensive end and on the offensive end. So in, in America here, sometimes, and I've played. You can go 10 possessions without even touching the ball because guys just come down and they're like, I'm just going one-on-one, I don't care. But in the Balkans, the ball just moves around and it really does zip around a lot more. So you've got to be paying attention. And uh, it's good because then you, you, you feel a bit more involved. Sometimes when you're playing five-on-five, you're like, why, why am I doing out here? You know, I'm not getting a shot. Or if I do, it's once every five or six possessions. So uh, it, it's a lot more engaging when you are involved in, in so many more of the plays and possessions. We're talking to Lee Ellis, uh, well-known from the No Dunks podcast, who's travelling around the world uh, getting pick-up games. Last question, Lee. Do women join in? Do you have mixed games around the world? Yeah, that that is something that I've really been trying to uh, emphasise to the contacts that I've, I'm having out in Africa there, that I want to make sure that this is open to uh, females as well, because basketball is a, a game for both sexes. And uh, I don't want... Because um, I'm trying to turn this into a series, like a docu-series for Netflix or... Amazon Prime or someone like that. And so I don't want it to for women to feel excluded or it's only a guy thing that we're out there playing basketball. It's, it's very much something that women are going to be a part of. And, and uh, I'm also going to be doing a couple of clinics in, uh, in Africa where I'm going to have boys and girls there as well so that everybody feels involved 
and be a part of it because, as I say, sport is for everybody and basketball is one of those games where, uh, especially with the with the growth of the WNBA in the last five to ten years, that girls should feel just as uh, you know just as much invited and a part of this as guys do. So that's uh, that's something that I, I really after the first trip I learned that again for the first one it was a learning experience. So a lot more guys came out, but uh, I'm hoping to have far more representation uh, from the females in this uh, in this second leg here. So I've also I've, I've been very very lucky. I've contacted some NBA teams that I know. And they've been very generous donating jerseys and shirts and, and all sorts of things that I'm going to have to give out to some of the players while I'm on these uh, at these games. And so there's a lot of WNBA gear as well. And uh, I'm really excited for, for what could happen here in the next uh, on the next trip. It's, um, it's it, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, but I'm also very very excited and, and looking forward to the experience. And finally, finally, how can we follow you? What's the best way for us Kiwis down here to follow this journey and, and, and catch up with where you are and what you're doing? Yeah, most of it. Well, all the content's going to be on Instagram and YouTube. And on Instagram, it's just me, Lee Ellis, my name, L-E-I-G-H-E-L-L-I-S. And then on YouTube, it's my name with 76 at the end. So it's the same there. Uh, and I tweet that out as well. And I'm on, I'm a, like, I'm on TikTok. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure it's really the platform. I'm not sure it's really the platform for me. I, I was saying to you before, I can play basketball for, for two hours on concrete, not feel too old. I spend 10 minutes on TikTok and I feel like a grandfather. So, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but yeah, look, it, it's great. And one last thing I will say, I've gotten tons of support, as I said earlier, uh, an invitation from, New Zealand-based uh, people, and I, I definitely uh, I plan on including it at some point here for a big trip. So uh, I'm not, I haven't got dates or anything yet, but it's certainly on the calendar at some point. Oh, brilliant. Well, when you're in Auckland, we'll get you in studio, and you've, you've probably done a bit more of your, your travelling. And basketball is the biggest participation sport in New Zealand, so you'll be very popular when you come here, Lee. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Fascinating story, and we'll definitely be following your, your trails, and we'll catch up again in the future. Yes, thank you very much for having me, Mark. There he is, Lee Ellis. We caught up with him earlier in the week. We just thought we'd replay that fascinating story, I think. Right, time to play Show Me The Money. Give us a call. We're going to take new sport and weather, but give us a call if you want to have a go at our four-leg multi. 0800 150 811. Show you the money. That that's so good. Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Rightio, time to play Show Me The Money and the good boys in the hot box have told me Paul from Christchurch won on the spinning wheel. G'day, Paul. How are we going? Very good, sir. Do you want to go first or last with your pick? I'm going to go last this time because I was the unlucky guy last year that missed out on that awful league try score that never happened. (laughs) All right, you sit tight. Um, me, Manaya, and Finn will take one each. Manaya, I'm going to kick it off. I say the breakers come home and they do a, do a number on the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, who are not playing in Tasmania. They're playing in Auckland. Breakers win by seven or more, $1.92. Show me the money. Show me the money. I like it. I like it. Um, there's more uh, sport going on this weekend than we have had for quite a while. I like the Warriors. I don't know that they're going to win. It's always hard to read into the preseason games. But I like Chance Nickel Kluster uh, to score <laughs> any time. $3. Kluster. Kluster. <laughs> okay, Chance Nickel Kluster to yeah. score any time in the whole match. And at it'll any, be a nice open game. At any point between the whistles. There we go. And uh, Finn Basimo. 
We got NBA All Star this weekend. So I'm going to be going on the NBA dunk contest, and oh, wow. I've got Kenyon Martin Jr. to take out the dub, paying 375, which I think is ridiculous. Oh, is he the favorite? He's not the favorite, but I definitely think he should be. A YouTuber is the favorite. Oh, really? Yeah, doesn't even play in the NBA. Okay, well, he's, a, he's a G League player. Oh, back Finn, anyone over six foot three, I believe them with the uh, basketball tips. Uh, we go to our very successful contestant so far, Paul. What would you like to add to the mix? Well, I'm not going to be very brave, but I just want to. I just think England are too good for us in the cricket. It's simple. I do too, mate. I think it's actually pretty good value at the moment. What's it paying, uh, Manoia? Just or are you hurriedly trying to find it? Yeah, I'm scrambling to find that one. Uh, head to head, England dollar fifty six. They're not giving us a whole lot, but when you add them all up, that's paying you thirty three dollars sixty nine. Yes. For every uh, dollar that you put on it which we're putting 50 on. So we're looking at $1,600, mate. Yes! I think that's fantastic value. I still would have liked the old 10-odd uh, thousand that I missed on one leg last year. but um, <laughs> We got we so can't, close. Uh, we can't, yeah, we're going a bit safer this time, and I think um, we're going to get the money, boys. Let's this weekend's go. ours. Let's go, Paul. <laughs> Love it, love it. All the very best. We'll be following that with interest. So just a quick review, Manaya. We've got Kenyon Martin Jr. to win the slam dunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the break is minus six and a half point start. Shans Nickel Kluster is his name. His name is my name too. Whenever I go out, the people always shout, he's going to score a try at some point. Uh, in England, head to head. That's the anchor of our mould, isn't it? <laughs> Where's Kluster come from? Uh, the Raiders. <laughs> is that how you say his name? Klockstad, yeah. Klockstad. Because we all call Klockstad. him Klockstad. Klockstad, yeah. But so it's Klockstad. It's Klockstad, yeah. Wow. Learning all the time in the afternoons. Right, uh, very good luck to Paul from Christchurch with our four-leg multi. That's a decent collect. The one I'm scared of is the NBA slam dunk contest, only because I know nothing about it. I know nothing about the participants. But, um, gosh, it'll be tremendous if we can get one of those up. Right, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, Jimmy Smith out of Australia will be joining us. Welcome back in. Of course, England made 325 for nine declared. New Zealand in reply are 126 for five at the crease at the moment. Devin Conway, 66, not out. And Tom Blundell, 15, not out, the keeper. 126 for five, bearing in mind one of those fivers. Neil Wagner. Now we're just waiting to go across to Australia to Jimmy Smith. G'day, Jimmy, if you're there. Oh, isn't that funny? Because all the time I've been pronouncing it Neil Wagner. Is oh. it not? <laughs> a great <laughs> German composer. Well, that's interesting you get that right because, boy, do you make a meal of lubbish, Gugney. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're aware of that. We're, we're, we're aware of that because... Because uh, previously I worked at a radio station with Matt Burke and, of course, you know, the, the rugby heritage and yep. the old private school and the old school tie and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, many, many tours to South Africa and he was adamant it was Labaskagni. Labaskagni. Yeah, there was Labaskagni. a very good springbok by the name of Labaskagni. And when Manus Labashane came onto the scene with Australia, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, it's it, well, that's it. the really interesting one is, you know, Isaiah Papalihi, mm. right? And and the entirety of his career, because he, he was a schoolboy superstar, wasn't he? Rugby player. And then yep. he had uh, mixed fortunes with the Warriors and then exploded over at Parramatta. But he was Papalihi all the way through. But Josh Papali, 
who and then that's what he was. That's he grew up in in Brisbane and Josh Papali, and then I don't know what happened. Whether there was a family situation and and you know Josh had seen Isaiah in the in the league, and he said, "Well, hang on, I might, might explore that." And now he is Josh Papalihi. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what did you used to call? I'm not going to say his name. The guy with the braids, the Kiwi prop second row from Manly. What did you used to call him? Kiwi. Marty. Oh, Marty. Uh, Marty Tapau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 what's what's the pronunciation of his name now? He is. Oh, how do you pronounce? How do you spell it? T. Taupua. Taupua. Is he? Taupua. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I'm not. Topo, that's what it is. Uh, well, there's the other one, and and this has been respectful too, right? So the Cowboys put out something on their social media the other day. That Saw that pronunciation of all those players' names, which mm. is absolutely um, fantastic. There's the great story about Tame Tupo, mm-hmm. who was playing for the Broncos. I think he had about three years at the Broncos, and for the first eighteen months of his career there, uh, Wayne Bennett used to call him Gary, <laughs> right? <laughs> And and the reason is that Wayne misheard his name. He said it's Tama, you know, quietly, softly spoken guy. He said Tama, and he said he thought he said Gary. So he called him Gary for eighteen months until <laughs> Tame worked up the courage to say, "Excuse me, Wayne, it's actually Tame." So, I've had twenty but, caps now. It's Tame. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, uh, hey, mate, how are you guys? I was a bit worried about you guys. He, I'm just seeing some of the stories. I think there's a. Is there a national state of emergency declared in um, Auckland and, and surrounds after that incredible cyclone, Gabriel? Actually, the whole country. Third time, whole in, country. Third wow. time in New Zealand's history that we've had a nationwide state of emergency. And gosh, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Like we, When the cyclone was coming in, they were, going, they were saying Northland, which is north of Auckland, Auckland itself, and maybe a bit of the Coromandel might cop the worst of it. And yeah. it came through and we copped it, but then it hit Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, which is Napier, Hastings, all of that east coast of the North Island, absolutely pumped. So much so, to, give you, to put it into a spec- perspective for you, there was a husband and wife and a two-year-old child, um, and they were in their house... And they thought it had peaked and the water was sort of at their gate and they thought, we are fine. 30 minutes later, the water was at their ceiling. Um, Their two-year-old daughter was swept away and has sadly, her body's been found. That's how fast it happened. People saw it and thought, it's actually okay, but the rivers all broke at the same time. And the whole of the Hawke's Bay region, which is largely flat land, it's where all of our fruit's grown, um, massive vineyards, so it's all flat. And yes. it just became, it was almost like the whole of Hawke's Bay became a lake. Um, and houses up to their roofs, roof lines, and people having 20 minutes. But they had to vac- evacuate, but they couldn't evacuate to anywhere because everywhere yeah. they could see was that deep underwater. They rescued 400 people with helicopters off roofs. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's carnage like we've never seen before. I mean, we had the, the Christchurch earthquakes Terrible. Yes. This is this is widespread. And the other thing, Jimmy, we don't have we don't have the rescue first responders. We just don't have the numbers to yeah. be able to service all these places. There's a town called Wairoa. I think there's about eight thousand people live there. All roads into Wairoa decimated. They're having to drop 
water, food supplies. No emergency yep. services can get there. It's just the locals with shovels and trailers and nowhere to put the crap. It's, it's, it's going to be a massive dent for a long, long time. There's a number of people in our listening uh, regions that would be able to comprehend exactly what you're saying. We've had extraordinary flood regions mm. um, over the last 18 months. I think four times the, the town of Camden, which is just outside, uh, well, we live just outside it, four times in the last 18 months it's been underwater. Mm. Like it's, it's, and, um, so, mate, thoughts and prayers with um, all of New Zealand, but um, with your crew over there who I know were impacted on that one. It seems to be a glorious day in Mount Manganui. It sure is. What, yeah. a, what a cricket ground. It's it, magnificent. Isn't it? But I'll tell you what, the last thing I want to do is being facing James Anderson and Stuart Broad just on dusk with a pink ball. <laughs> oh, well done, Baz Ball, on that one. Yeah, our guys didn't like it much either. <laughs> no. No. Um, there's somewhat of a recovery going on with um, Devon Conway. He's on 66, not out. Tom Blundell, our keeper for the Test match, he's on 16. Wonderful story. I don't know whether you knew. Tom Blundell in his Test debut as wicketkeeper in Wellington. Test debut made 100. Uh, he lives about 200 metres from the ground, and he was seen an hour after stumps after he'd made his 100, walking home in his whites with a stump to celebrate his 100th. And uh, oh, wow. people taking photos of him walking down the street. Don't you love that? I love it. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Hey, um, we're talking today about first jerseys. This is on the back of Paddy Mills. He is the sixth most popular NBA jersey in Australia. This is the data coming out of um, nbastore.com.au. So wow. there's, there's Steph Curry and LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo who are in front of him. But So we're, talking, we're asking people to tell us their first jersey, how old they were, who gave it to them. Do you remember your first ever jersey? Uh, my first ever, well, actually, my first ever sports memorabilia was uh, LA Lakers cap that my wow. parents bought for me from the forum. So it was actually le- oh. legit. And it blew off my head on the Cook Strait Ferry between the North and the South Island. I damn near jumped in to go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> they were valued items. They were. Well, well, actually, they still are. I don't you know couldn't get say. them in New Zealand. You just couldn't no. get them. Yeah. No. Uh, there you go. All right. Okay. So. Um, there you go. The Lakers cap. That that was not. I would have thought every kid was just given an All Blacks jersey, but maybe not. No, I, I, I've got an All Blacks jersey, but I never worn it. I, my view, and it's just in my head. You have to earn it to wear it, and I've never earned it. Uh, only All Blacks should wear All Black jerseys. I've got it in no. my. I've got it in my drawers though. Gee, you're going to be hating on a lot of people if you go to a game at <laughs> Eden Park, then, aren't you? But <laughs> don't mind replicas, don't mind polos. This okay. is a legit one, not for me. All right, no, fair enough. Hey, mate, we're going to go. You have a safe and a happy weekend, buddy. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you very much, Jimmy Smith from SEN. Uh, there he is, Mark Sydney. Snappy's there, and um, we'll take a break. Uh, New Zealand, uh, 133 for five. Come on, looking quite good. Uh, Touchwood, he's coming in bowls. He didn't go out, so I didn't hex him. We'll wrap it up after this. Here's what happened. Back in the day. Yep, on this day in 1973, Rodney Redmond scored 107 and 56 in his test debut. It was a drawn third test with Pakistan and Auckland, and it was his only test ever played. Now, on this day in 2008, the 50th Daytona, uh, driving for the Roger Penske team, Ryan Newman, he won the 50th running of the Daytona 500. Birthdays today, Don Tallon. Born in 1916, Australian wicketkeeper, and turning 60 today, the greatest. He looks, he looks, he looks, he gives to Jordan, Jordan to the circle, puts the shot in the air, good, the game's over, and the Bulls have won. 
Jordan beat him at the... There it is, Michael Jordan, 60 today, hard to believe. AB de Villiers is 39 today, and All Black second 5'8", Geordie Barrett is 25. On this day in 95, the number one movie was The Brady Bunch, and the number one song was TLC. There it is, TLC with Creep. Uh, big thanks to Gull, who fuel your mission all year round, for joining us all afternoon and every afternoon. And big shout-out to Manaya and Finn. Great work, fellas. The run home, it's coming at you.